episode 71. How are you guys still on the air? <laughs> oh, how dare you, Alice? Well, oh. uh, actually, I, I kind of, I'm kind of with her on yeah. this one. Hey, what? Man, this is going to be a busy ass week, Holman. Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be all over the damn country. Yes, we are. I'm. I'm actually really looking forward to this week. Diesel Power Challenge in yes. Denver. When right. do you leave? I'm leaving. Well, I'm already there. Well, when you're currently, hearing, future yeah. us is there. The, the future us, yes. Yeah. So we're recording this, and I'm getting on a plane tomorrow morning. Yeah. But I'm when, a couple days behind you. Exactly. When you're so it's it's airing. This is airing Monday. Hopefully, you're listening to it Monday. If not, you're late. You could have listened to it Monday. And I'm in Denver right now and getting audio. And, and then you, Holman, you come in later this week, Wednesday. So if you're listening to this podcast Wednesday, I'm in Denver or I'm on a plane. Gotcha. And then when you and I bone out on Friday. Directly to Daytona. 6 a.m. flight. Oh, this is how dude. much we love Jordan. Yeah, Jordan, at Daytona seriously, dude. Uh, <laughs> be- it better be as awesome as you promised. I sure hope so. Uh, you know what I'm excited about with uh, Diesel Power Challenge? Uh, there's a lot to be excited well, about. The fact that you're going to be there. Okay. Because we get to take you to a uh, traditional eating spot. Now, wait a minute. So it's not just a bunch of cool guys with cool, fast trucks. Well, that's and, part of and it. And showing off their skills and hanging out with KJ, editor of Diesel Bar Magazine, going to ATS and all that good stuff. You're thinking that I'm going to be most excited about a Mexican restaurant? So, uh, you know, <laughs> South Park, right? Uh, it, yes. Just the tune, Casa Bonita, Casa Bonita. That's a real restaurant? It is a real restaurant <laughs> in Denver. What's Casa Bonita? Dude, haven't you ever been there? It's a big Mexican restaurant, but they have like cliff jumpers and Blackbird's Cave and all kinds of stuff. It's like the Disneyland of Mexican restaurants. This Saturday, awesome! Casa Bonita, Casa Bonita, food and fun and a festive atmosphere, Casa Bonita. It's hard to explain. Okay, why are you looking at your phone? Because I once wrote the best Yelp review I've ever written you, about this are, are restaurant. Are you a Yelper? I am a Yelper. I did not know that about you. Yeah, I do less Yelp now, but uh, I used to do a lot more Yelp. Now, back in are the you day. the kind of Yelper who will weigh in with great Yelp reviews, or do you are, are you the guy that's are you like nope. the troll of Yelp? Nope, nope, no. I I just usually throw good ones out there. Okay. Uh, so I wrote this review of the one and only Casa Bonita. And you have to understand, we have family friends who moved to Denver. My parents had gone to visit them, and they took them to Casa Bonita or Casa Bonita for for a lunch one day, mm-hmm. and they're like, "This is the worst Mexican food I've ever had. It's horrible." And I'm like, then I see it on South Park. I'm like, it's a thing. This is a thing. So about five years ago, the diesel power and truck trend teams, we decided to make it a tradition to take anybody new. And one night of Diesel Power Challenge Week, we would go to Casa Bonita for dinner. This is in Denver proper or outside? It's just outside Denver. Okay. It's just outside Denver. I think it's in a, uh, a town called, uh, I think, Lakewood okay. is uh, is where it is. Lakewood, Colorado. Now, we're staying in like Golden, Golden. Colorado, which is the home away. of Coors, right? It is the home of and Coors. And then we're going to be hanging out at Bandemir Speedway. We right? won't have time to drink any Coors because we have to save ourselves for Daytona. Okay. Uh, all right. So just, I... I I feel Give like me this review. The Let me embodiment uh, of of Casa Bonita is in this review. Okay, it's five stars. How by the can way. this be? Wait a minute. So you want to take me to this restaurant uh-huh. and the and the food is crappy? It's horrible. Yet I gave him a five star. I'm scratching my head. You guys can't see All that. Right. I'm confused and perplexed. First off, I'm obligated to give Casa Bonita five stars. Never mind that I've traveled to Mexico and have had real Mexican food, from which I experienced a horrible case of Montezuma's revenge and still found more <laughs> edible. Despite this, Casa Bonita is everything I've been promised from family, friends, South Park, and yes, fellow Yelpers. Casa Bonita! Casa Bonita! Few places on Earth are just as they appear on TV, in photos, or the internet, but Casa Bonita is one of these. I place it high on the same level as Hawaii and Las Vegas for being exactly as advertised. It's best described as Pirates of the Caribbean meets the log ride, except you replace the burning Caribbean town and pirate animatrons with LED-bedazzled palm trees and oddly-themed actors that are just as campy and robotic as Disney's famous robots. 
Oh, and don't forget the high divers doing death-defying leaps from a raging waterfall inside the restaurant. What? Oh, yes. They have cliff diving inside the restaurant. What? Oh, yeah. Speaking of visceral experiences, the smell is hard to describe, but I'm going to try anyway. All right, let me guess. Is the smell like a uh, that stuff they clean bathrooms with? Think of what it might smell like if Tijuana met its fate at the hands of a giant overchlorinated tidal wave oh. and then was left to dry out in a dark, damp closet. Oh. <laughs> sure, the quote-unquote Mexican food is a caricature of itself, and better acting can be found Sunday afternoons on Lifetime. <laughs> Yet if you come with a group and with the right attitude, there's plenty of entertainment to be had. We found ourselves laughing the entire visit, mostly at the expense of this wonderful institution known as Casa Bonita. Pro tip, tell them it's the birthday of the least liked person in your entourage. <laughs> Whether you agree with my review or not, be sure to end your adventure with fried ice cream. It might be the best thing about Casper Bonita to be on the quote-unquote all-you-can-use one-ply in El Baño. <laughs> Seriously, it's like an ice cream scoop wrapped in a churro, and who can argue with that? <laughs> yeah, buddy! I cannot so, wait I am taking Casa Bonita. And I guarantee you, we have listeners from Denver who are going to go, oh, dude! <laughs> Casa so we, Bonita. We might have to take the recorder to Casa Bonita. So are there like little twinkly LEDs yes. all over? like and palm trees. There's multiple levels. There's underground caves. Under- there's, what? Oh, dude, the whole, it's crazy. And it's the crazy. food is just horrific. It's, oh, the worst you've ever had. But it's oh, it's somehow it just it just. It, but is this so? Is it is it is themed like that Amazon restaurant that was like a crappy Amazon chain? And you go there and the burgers were horrible. Like there was one Rainforest South, Cafe. Rainforest no, Cafe. No, Rainforest Cafe is twenty eight levels higher than Whoa, what? I'm not even I'm not even kidding. It's just we're taking you there, and then you have to give a, your own review of it. Okay. I mean, we talk about food a lot on the show. <laughs> it is the, the center of truck dump. <laughs> Casa Bonita! Casa Bonita! Uh, and, right. then, and then, yeah, so like we said, then we were off to Daytona. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'll probably have a DPC episode, we'll probably have a Daytona truck meet episode. I just hope uh, Jordan's not a big fat liar. Listen, we're going to make the best of it. And I think uh, we, we're the ones that found Jordan. Right, so we're the ones that reached out to him the first time. I don't yep. want to flip the script. Right. It's not like True. he called us. Nope. I called him. I saw the event. It looked really rad, and we said we want to be part of this. So we'll see. We 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 will see. Finally, there. Also, before we get into the show, I got a uh, one of our listeners at modern underscore upland uh, sent us a note on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Tell Nissan you got another person in Nashville to buy a Titan. What? Yeah, how do you like that? Yes. So, tell me uh, more. Yeah. So he basically went out and uh, he's been listening to the show. Uh, I believe Modern Upland is a uh, a band local to Nashville, the okay. Nashville music scene, and apparently uh, he picked up himself a Titan. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome, Nissan. So uh, anybody out there who uh, is in the market for a brand new half ton. Our audience going truck. nuts. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. It's us going nuts because <laughs> okay. we can send that to Nissan and then they go, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. we, we paid for your show. Did huh. he say what options he got? No, he didn't go send that uh, kind of detail. No, I'm sure we can get that kind of detail. I think it. you write him back. All One right. of us write him back yeah. and we say, what option did what he did get? What did you get? Give us a review. You yep. know, give him like, I guess he just bought it. So let's I think give he, him like what, 30 days and get a 30 day review? I have no idea if this is a uh, XD with the five liter Cummins, mm-hmm. if this is a uh, regular Titan with the five six gas engine. But regardless, he got, he got himself a five-year, five one hundred thousand mile yes, warranty. Yes, yes he, he did. did. Yes, he did. Oh my gosh! I didn't even say what color he got. Uh, he sent a picture, but you know how on Instagram they disappear. Yeah, it wasn't one of those pictures where you can click again, dude. I know. I hate those. I know. So we're gonna have to. Uh, we'll, I'll delve a little deeper, but that's uh, yet another listener who has uh, picked up a Titan. So we appreciate that. Nissan appreciates that. Did and he go right to decked.com and order a deck system? That's uh, what I mean, I would have. I would have. Right. Yeah, absolutely. If you uh, are looking for the world's <laughs> best sliding drawer cargo solution for your your uh, pickup 
van. But I think decked would be a lot better if they used ball bearings that were made in Texas. So without those, I just feel like decked, I don't know, it leaves something um, a little to be desired. You know what I mean? Like, Because they could choose no, like they, Swiss bearings, German nope, bearings. What's use. that? American-made Texas ball bearings filled with Texas crew. Yes, they do. <laughs> so if you guys are looking for a storage solution, and why wouldn't you be? Because you don't want stuff just rolling around the bed of your truck. Decked.com is where you go. Hey, so what do we have coming up on the show? Uh, I think this is going to be a good one. We've got Tony Borglum, who runs driveatank.com, and he will tell you how here in the 48 contiguous United States of America you can rent yourself a tank. Not a truck. A tank. A tank. And you can so shoot are we, things are we, out of the tank. So are we giving this, we're like, because uh, we always feel guilty when we don't talk trucks, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't, because I think it's so cool. I think anybody who drives a truck would enjoy driving a tank. Absolutely. Right? I think you're the same kind of guy. Absolutely. And then also yeah. this, uh, I don't know, a week or two ago, we posted about emissions and how the older 2000, uh, 2003 mm. F450s are going to be out of compliance in California state, and people either need to repower or replace their old F450. You're going to get a note in the mail that says, say goodbye to your truck yeah. or swap the engine. Yeah, or get it out of California. Right. And uh, and so that blew up on our Facebook page. We had over like half a million organic reach. Like it was shared 2,000 times. I think we'll <laughs> we'll tell the stats here in a little bit, but we've right. got Peter Tridey, Director of Emissions Compliance over at SEMA, which mm-hmm. as you know is the association for protecting our aftermarket. Mm-hmm. And he does all this uh, emissions compliance testing and, and informs the industry and all. I think he's going to be an amazing uh, interview for for our listeners to kind of because Peter's not a guy that you would run across in like a normal setting. No, you, Peter's a guy that doesn't do many interviews. It's not and he, and he's really good at it. I think you guys will be impressed. But none of us really understand emissions. I think most of us scoff and kind of hate the notion of that there's emissions equipment on our vehicles, but we don't really know the hows and the whys the process, and the, and the yeah, future yeah. of it all. This is the one man that does, yeah. that we have access to, and I don't think that you'll ever hear another guy with this knowledge base yeah. on any other show. That's pretty cool. It's cool, and he's coming in studio, so uh, let's uh, let's start this thing up. Yes, let's do it. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck, because truck rides with show we have the lifted we have the lowered and everything in between we'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline the truck show the truck show the truck show it's the truck show with your hosts lightning and holman but i can wait no longer we must talk tanks (laughs) <laughs> episode 71, the Tankisode. No, no, no. We don't. Really? Yeah. The Tankisode? The Tankisode. No. No. The Tankisode with emissions episode. <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> the title <horrible>. ever. <laughs> hey, Holman, I've got something for you. Okay, I'm ready. What the truck? What the truck? What the truck? Does it have to do with the truck? You can figure out your left and right. Anybody can drive a tank. It's really easy. <laughs> That's not a truck. Once you get into the tank, you realize you have about 15 tons of pure machine behind you. Yeah, you do. It's just badass. Yes, it is. Oh, man. Is that a driveatank.com? Yes, it is. All right, hold on. Let me, I've got the number. So mm-hmm. I, I saw this online and I'm like, we have got to talk to these guys. So uh, Tony Borglum is the uh, owner of Drive a Tank. So why don't we give him a call just in case you are, I don't know, having a bachelor party and you want to drive a tank or. <laughs> 
I guess I don't need an excuse like a bachelor party. <laughs> I, let's go now. So I was reading on their website, driveatank.com. They said that if you do a gender reveal party, they will shoot <laughs> the color of the baby. And I'm not normally into the gender reveal parties. I think they're stupid. Yeah. Not with a tank, they're nope, not. Nope. I'm happy uh, attending any party that has a tank. Yeah, regardless of why. I don't even care. <laughs> okay, let's I don't call. Even care. Now, wait a minute. Before you dial. Yeah. So I'm just watching a video here of, of Tony, and uh, I don't know if that's his girlfriend, wife, or just assistant there, and they're both super young. So these are like not old farts running like, I got a tank when I was in Nam. No, this is, Tony <laughs> looks you, pretty young. Uh, how many people were in Nam and brought him <laughs> a tank? I don't, I don't, okay. Oh, really? All right, sorry. Okay. Well, whatever. No, no, okay. All right, I'm going to call him because uh, <laughs> I don't know. I want to find out more about driving a tank. All right. Hello? Tony, Lightning and Holman from the Truck Show Podcast. How you doing? Hey, not too bad. How about you? Fantastic. We uh, heard a vicious rumor online that if we wanted to rent a tank, you were the uh, purveyor of tank rentals in the U.S. Well, if it involves <laughs> tanks, I've got you covered. All okay. right. Okay, good. <laughs> so the first thing I have to ask, Tony, is how in the world did you get started, and what was the, what, what, what was the impetus for, like, I'm going to rent myself a tank? You know, like you're going to you're going to let the world uh, drive very dangerous vehicles. Well, what's so dangerous about a tank? Well, well it depends if you, it depends if the <laughs> turrets you, are uh, do you well, give concrete the keys or to me? If you give the keys oh, to me, it's dangerous. Well. There's that one time in uh, Southern California where that guy stole a tank from the armory and was headed toward the Mexican border and was running over, uh, I guess, like cars and stuff in San Diego. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Do you think that came from a tank rental company? <laughs> I doubt it. Okay. <laughs> That came from the U.S. government. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> so, so how do you get into the business of tank rentals? I mean, it seems like there's so many other things. You could rent, like, uh, leaf blowers or um, a game truck. bounce houses. A game truck. A game right. truck, yeah. Sure. But a tank, that's more our speed. Well, there was, you know, so about oh, back in 2006, um, we have a family construction business. We do heavy equipment contracting and specialized mining operations, and... Me and my dad were on a vacation in England, and we came by. There was 13 places you could drive a tank in England and the U.K., and there was none in the United States. So it didn't take long to figure out that if there's enough business to support 13 places in the U.K., we could probably support one in the U.S. So we just decided it would be a good idea to buy some tanks and get started. And I don't know, whatever it is, 13 years later, we're still still going hard okay so you were already uh in an entrepreneurial family so you weren't scared about taking on a bank loan and buying tanks and doing something crazy you were already you guys owned a mining firm oh yeah yeah when i was i don't know probably six or seven years old we uh me and my dad traveled to illinois to look at a uh, new type of concrete recycling machine and that was the big thing there you know that was like the big risk we're gonna buy this equipment it's gonna consume all of our cash and it should work, and, and it did work, and we made lots of money with it. So, yeah, it wasn't my first rodeo when it comes to seeing a need for equipment, buying the equipment, providing it, and then counting. Well, the when I was afterwards. 13, I don't recall my dad taking me to look at heavy <laughs> machinery. I would have loved it, but he just didn't uh, do it. No, my dad did. He uh, was in charge of, like, uh, land development. Okay. And so um, he took me to one of the construction sites, and I got to uh, sit in the wheel or stand of, like, one of those big – I don't know, earth movers, and it was pretty cool. So uh, That is cool. Yeah. So. I went to, uh, to the train museum in Paris, California. That's as <laughs> big equipment as I got. Yeah, hey, that's a cool museum. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Back to Tony. So what's your first move in starting up a trunk, a, a, a uh, the business here, tank rental? So, like, you, you just buy one from England? Because it looks like most of the, according to the video I just saw, most of the stuff is English. Well, no, no, no. It looks like he no? has a Russian main battle tank. 
a NATO chieftain, a World War II Sherman, which that would be the tank that I would want, would want to rent for sure, uh, and a British Abbott or variations of the British Abbott self-propelled guns. Yeah, so it's mostly British because that is, you know, what that's the most affordable equipment. And in this line of work, you want the cheap piece, I guess. Um, you know, <laughs> a, a, a Sherman is a, you know, you'd be, to buy a true American-made Sherman, you're probably going to spend $500,000. No way. That's a that's a yeah, fickle mistress that's... right there. No, wait a minute. Why yeah. so they're not when do they when do they go out of service? The thing is with them is there's there's not actually as many as even though they made 50,000 or 40,000 of them or whatever it was, there aren't that many in private hands. So the the US government has never sold or surplus. If somebody tells you a story where they went to the surplus store and you could buy a tank, that actually isn't 100% accurate. Um, the only tanks that are typically in private hands are that are legal to own were surplus in creative ways. They could have been museum trades. There's plenty of legal ways to obtain the U.S. tank that's legal to own, but it's not quite as easy as British vehicles. The British government just sold off almost all of their surplus tanks up until the early 2000s. They still sell armored vehicles, just not tanks, because their tanks are top secret now. They're technology so they don't sell them but up in you know in 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 the early late 90s up into the early 2000s you could buy a chieftain tank right from the british government so since they sold them there's many of them in private hands so there's only about 1200 chieftains built but they're more common in private hands probably than a sherman which was maybe built 40,000 of them because after the war they were scrapped. People weren't interested in them. They weren't interested in collecting them. So they got scrapped, sold other countries. You would need a very big garage if you were collecting Sherman tanks. (laughs) Yes. So here's what I want to know. I have a friend who's super into everything British, right? He's got, uh, you know, Triumphs and and other awesome British bikes, and he's got British cars. and Sounds like like you're talking about my dad. Well, well, every single one of them – uh, <laughs> prolifically leaks, and it's like you go into yes, the shop, do. and there's at least like a, a, a inch. It's thick an oil slick. oil slick. Yeah. What the hell must a chieftain leak when it's parked? <laughs> well, it, <laughs> How many it, gallons does it hold? Yeah, wait, right. <laughs> the engine holds 45 gallons of <laughs> 30 weight motor oil. No, it doesn't. It quits wait, leaking. There's something wrong. That means you could get a 55 gallon drum and still have 10 extra well, gallons. Just no, in case. really. What? What? No, Tony. The, the what the does it hold? Goes in the generator engine. Oh, okay. The, engine, <laughs> the, the main engine holds about 45 gallons, and then the generator engine holds the rest. It's a 55 well, gallon drum of lube. Yep. That's yeah, a lot of lube. Yep. <laughs> Hold on a second. No, wait, wait. That's what she said. All right. So <laughs> I'm I'm so perplexed now. All right. Your first purchase was what? Um, an Abbott self-propelled gun and two FZ-432 APCs. And lightning's and maybe, going. I have no idea I what I don't, I don't know what you're saying right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a self-propelled gun. The vehicle you see, the ones highlighted, we use a lot of on our website. And then a couple armored personnel carriers are just one APC we bought for parts. We bought an Abbott not running because it was significantly cheaper. And the, the APCs use the same engine, but the power pack is different. So the plan was to bring them home and cannibalize the one for parts to get the other one running. And then we just kind of said enough of that. We repowered the Abbott with a modern diesel engine. And then I'm still actually running that APC 13 years later. So I'm actually curious, what engine did you choose to repower your tank with? Because back then, I believe they had, uh, was it a, a Rolls-Royce opposed piston engine? Yeah, so the all the pretty much all the British vehicles of that era do use the it's posed. So there's a crankshaft on the top and the bottom. The pistons meet dome to dome, 
it's two strokes, so there's ported cylinders. So the pistons move apart, ports open, a supercharger drafts the air through, pushes a little fresh air out the exhaust, the pistons move together, close off the ports, builds compression, and the injectors fire on the side. It's a very neat design, but it's not necessarily the engine that's the problem. It's sometimes like the Lucas starter that is the issue. And uh, <laughs> British electronics. Yes. Uh, uh, British electronics. Everyone knows that. Yeah, but yeah right? There's I mean, no secret. By the way, uh, Lucas uh, synonymous with uh, electrical shorts. Yes. <laughs> so that, if my notes are correct, that original Rolls Royce, I guess a, a K60, um, yep. would have made 240 horsepower at th- 3750 RPM. And yes. what have you replaced it with? Because our, our truck show podcast listeners are uh, big-time diesel enthusiasts, and I guarantee you somebody will say, I'm going to put that engine in my next build so I can say it powers a tank. Yeah, the same one that everybody uses for their diesel projects, the good old 5.9 Cummins. Yeah! Look at that, yeah! <laughs> yeah. As, as we like to call it, the small block Chevy of the diesel world. Yes, we That's do. right. In the tank world, we just stick them in anything. We just so, need an engine, stick a 5.9. What do you do? Work. Do you have like a, a some sort of adapter plate for the bell housing to the transaxle, or, or how does that work? Yeah, we build our own. We've got uh, our own machine shops. We've got CNC mills and lays, and then I just build my own adapters pretty much and utilizes. I try to utilize as few British parts as possible. But yeah, you'd be surprised though. You dig into a British tank and you find an Allison transmission that says Flint, Michigan on the side of it sometimes. So, oh yeah, do you really? Yeah. So some of the parts, you, you know, it, it's not. It's not the transmission's fault. It's it's powered by an engine that has a Lucas starter. But. <laughs> so do do the guys at Cummins, does Steve Sanders at Cummins Repower know that you're repowering tanks with his engines? Uh, probably not. No, I just do my own thing. I mean, where are you finding the engines? Are you finding them at a, at a, at a Junkers or are you buying them uh, crate engines? No, I, I uh, so for a while ago there was a lot of FedEx trucks came up with uh, with the uh, mechanical twelve valve with the P seventy one hundred pumps. So Super I brought easy. like. Yeah, I bought like six of those. I just bought a bunch and pulled them apart, scrapped the bodies, rolled aluminum on the FedEx trucks, scrapped the rest of it, saved a lot of pieces. We saved, you know, we reuse a lot of the, the anything we can and just run those because. Yeah, this isn't a restoration business. This is a make sure they run so you can drive over crap business. Right. Yeah, and something always happens, you know, when you're like, we, we've, the radiator gets plugged up on a hot day, something over, something's going to go wrong with it. So we just, I just, putting a new one in there the thing is they run forever like i don't know you don't really need a new one it seems like i don't know cummins kind of built themselves out of a <laughs> out of a business sale there. <laughs> you know it's their, it's their 100th anniversary this year and they've got i believe it's over father's day weekend they have like a, a big event in columbus indiana where they're uh, where they're based i should uh, i should tell them there's a guy repowering tanks with their five nine they'd probably get a kick out of it <laughs> you absolutely should it's weird that so many other companies have kind of a they build planned obsolescence into their not coming no they're like we're gonna build one that's gonna last forever and then <laughs> and then it does and then damn it we can't sell well, that guy then, another engine <laughs> well then the joke was that you know your your dodge truck or your uh your bread van would fall apart around the drivetrain and All that's right. why there's so many used uh five nines out there and uh they just they go forever man that's that's it. That's my next project. I've actually got one of the ISB 170s, the, the electronic 4BT is on the shop floor with an Allison 1000. And I've, I've got that thing. That's going to go. I don't know. We're going to start chopping that thing apart and see what we can do with it because it's, it's amazing the power they get out of a, such a small space with that ISB. Oh, yeah. So, Tony, what does your fleet look like today? How many tanks? How many five tons? Do you have Humvees? Like, what do you have out there on the yard? And then how big is your property? Well, we've got, I got to think on the vehicle thing here. I tend to lose track of them, but we've got, uh, 
We've got three of the Abbots, like I said, those are our, kind of our main runners. We've got six of the FV432 APCs. I've got three Chieftains, three Centurions. We've got a T54 and a T55. Wow, that's kind of cool. We've got, yeah, we've got the Sherman. We've got a half-track, a couple Humvees, some anti-tank guns, some other miscellaneous stuff. I don't know, half a dozen of the five tons or so. Um, and I'm trying to think. Oh, and an M103, and we're in the process of restoring, which is a pretty – it's an interesting tank if you're into tanks. That's about it, I so think. So the, the, the makeup of people, I'm still dying to know how big your property is because you, you, you can't just tool one of these around in a backyard. You know what I mean? It, they take No, he's, he doesn't acreage. know what you mean. He's totally unclear on how big it <laughs> is, yeah. how much room well, it takes. <laughs> you just, every, everywhere is your backyard when you have a tank. Oh, I like <laughs> that right? answer. Right? <laughs> we would hang out. So we would be good friends if you knew. Bob, I'm coming through your backyard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have the world's worst neighbors next door. I literally, I cut ivy off my wall. Yeah. Because, you know, these are the I rats, remember this that, story. Right? I have ivy there and uh, it grew over on their wall. And so I told him, hey, I'm going to trim the ivy off the wall because my wife doesn't like it. And, you know, we want to see the health of the wall because we had bought this 50-year-old house. And, and ivy destroys a, walls. Hey, absolutely. So we cut it off, and uh, some of the ivy died on their side. And uh, they haven't talked to me in six months other than <laughs> dirty dirty looks and stuff. I feel like if I had a tank, I would just drive right through their house just because <laughs> I don't would, like them. Well, you would get sued. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> it'd probably be worth it. <laughs> How about that Sherman? What are those rental rates on that in case you have a neighbor dispute? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, so I'm dying to know where, first off, we didn't say where Drive a Tank is located. So granted, we, we did mention that he could, he'll bring a tank to you. Casota, Minnesota, right? Yep. And he will bring a tank to you anywhere in the lower 48. And it's not That's like right. you have to be in Minnesota to rent a tank. He will take his freaking tank to you. If you want to rent the Sherman, it may cost you some transportation costs, but darn it, it'll be right there at your uh, gender reveal party. <laughs> at your at your parents' 60th anniversary yeah. party. I got to think it's a little pricey. No? What, what what does it take to get a tank to well, California? Hold on. What's the range? First, let's talk about what the, uh, the most affordable thing you can rent from you and drive all the way up to the most expensive, and then we'll get into how much to ship up because it's always the shipping that gets you yeah you know the our abbots are the most affordable um but you know a lot of times what we see is when we're doing the, the long-range stuff going somewhere else the the cost the value for getting a, a big tank usually outweighs it um you know the abbots are for movie work depending what you're doing they're about three thousand bucks a day um and then they're typically about three bucks a mile to get anywhere so i mean it, it again it does depend what you're doing if crushing cars adds wear you know that kind of changes things um the centurion, uh, centurion that's a little more expensive depending where we're going it's did anywhere. he just try and talk us out of crushing a car yes he did okay i thought yeah. so yeah yeah with, with an abbot because if you're going to do it anything worth crushing is worth crushing right yeah <laughs> you okay. crush it right yeah you really need an actual tank so like our centurion is one that we do a lot of off-site work with it weighs about 118,000 pounds oh my, oh God. my. what by, by the way a yeah. fully loaded big rig in the united states is typically about 80,000 pounds so just figure that one out that's pretty that's pretty crazy 
crazy. Oh yeah, when, with this with the Centurion loaded on our, we've got a sixty-five ton ten axle rig. We're about a hundred and eighty-five thousand pounds. They're a hundred and five thousand pounds more than your typical big rig going down the highway. Yeah. There are so many. You you can't go. You've got to have special I permits. The whole I thing. don't even want to know what it would be like if uh, you got flagged into the scales <laughs> on, the, uh, on the interstate. <laughs> he breaks the scales. Or if you went into one of those like runaway truck ramps and they just kept going <laughs> right, right up the cliff, right into space. <laughs> You said movie rentals, and so we know that you can do that. We know that you can uh, rent it for a party. You can rent it to just drive it. Can you blow things up with it? And are there any other weird things we're not thinking of that you can rent a, tr- uh, a tank for? Well, we do have our Centurion. We do a lot of our offsite work with it. I mentioned that does have a live registered 105 millimeter main gun. That's an L7, which is the same as the American M68. His offsite um, work is so much different than ours. What, yeah. what, when you say registered, what does that mean? Um, so it's so tank guns and other things that are similar have to be registered with the NFA branch of the ATF. So you basically, <laughs> have to, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Um, so it's a legal registered main gun. Um, we can we can That's shoot live rounds. I've never used before. No. <laughs> I mean, I've got a lot of guns at home, but I don't have the uh, the ATF registered main gun. I guess I'm, uh, I'm you slacking. don't have anything that will blow a hole in the Motor Trend building. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I mean no, I don't. Maybe 50 caliber or something like that. I just can't even imagine. Like my dad and I, our, our desert trip that we go on. Could you imagine if I did a, a rent a tank for the weekend and I brought that thing out there? Well, what, oh, are the, what are the legalities man. to bringing it on uh, government? Well, I, like BLM, could you take it to BLM land and just shoot it, or do you need to have a licensed range? Or well, so there are. So it, since it is registered, it is a it is a like I said, just a registered gun. It's no different than if you're familiar. Civilians can own machine guns if they're licensed and everything's done properly. Yep. And a 105 cannon is no different than anything. It's just anything over 50 caliber is considered a destructive device. And as far <laughs> as I know. You can shoot a destructive device on government property because it is just a legal gun. That's kind of how it's viewed. This is um, getting better by the minute. Common sense does apply that <laughs> maybe it's a bad idea. <laughs> when did you start the business? What year, roughly? Um, end of 2006. So basically early 2007. Probably. Okay. Okay. What's the worst thing that's happened? Has anyone accidentally <laughs> ran into your, like your car or something, or <laughs> or over your foot? No, no. We, you know, we have instructors. We have tank managers with all of our vehicles. We do have kill switches and auxiliary steering controls. Our own stuff we've built. So it's it's very safe. You know, we every once in a while you get somebody. Well, we got one guy. We when we tell the story, we refer to him as Tractor Guy because <laughs> <laughs> Tractor Guy, Tractor Guy, yeah. Tractor, tractor guy, guy listens to our show. I think. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> Seen him leave a review on iTunes. <laughs> we were going through the driving uh, explanation, and he wasn't listening. And I said, "Excuse me, sir, I need you to listen to how to drive." And he said, "I couldn't possibly learn anything about driving from you. I've been driving a tractor longer than you've been alive." And it was in the early years when I was kind of like, "Oh, okay, whatever." <laughs> and I today I would have probably just like escorted him off the property. But I said, oh, okay, well, listen, anyway, and we, we went out, and he hopped on, he was in my habit, and we got ready to go, and he wasn't listening to the part that it's a it's a diesel engine driving an Allison automatic transmission. It drives basically just like a car. Right. It's not hydrostatic, he, it's a, no, a exactly. drivetrain. Yeah, and when you want it, there are two levers for steering, and when he heard that there were two levers, he automatically assumed it was just like driving a skid steer. The difference is with a skid steer that's hydrostatic, you rev up the engine, the pump is pumping oil, but it's not going anywhere. And then when you push the, the levers forward, you put oil to the motor and you go forward. If you panic, you throw your hands up in the air, the vehicle stops. 
Well, he assumed it was a skid steer, and he mashed the throttle wide open. And <laughs> when he panicked, <laughs> threw his hands up in the air and oh. went straight out of the gate. And by the time I hit the kill switch, he he hit the there was about a 12 inch tree. He hit that and oh! knocked it right over. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for stopping by, uh, Mr. Tractor Guy. Please get out of my tank now. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And he did it in front of everybody. So well, you know, I hope. Good. Was it before YouTube, or does that video exist somewhere? Because you know, if it was today, <laughs> that video, he'd be shamed for life. Yeah, we can't get by with anything with YouTube. <laughs> yeah, right. So, how much does one round of the 105 millimeter cost? Uh, typically about 1250 bucks. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You better be aiming that thing at something awesome. So have you had have you had any have you had any multimillionaires stop by and just buy 50 rounds and just we've, go shooting? We've had millionaires show up and buy $50,000 birthday parties for their kids. Oh my wow. god. Yeah, yeah, just I need that dad. That's a, like a year's salary right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this guy's the limit. I was looking online at some of the things you've crushed, and I want to know what the weirdest was. I think one of the things that caught my eye is you ran over some news vans for a, a news <laughs> feature. That's That seems pretty awesome. Yeah, we crushed fake news. Uh, we uh, we did a pumpkin out there. That was... Uh, that was a little. That was different. Um, we did some pianos. I'd want to but, shoot the pumpkin, Yeah, but though. a pumpkin seems you just smoosh it. You just drive right through it, right? Yeah, but it's different than everything else because everything else kind of puts up a fight. The pumpkin doesn't. <laughs> that, you know? Okay, um, fair enough. Yeah, the pumpkin's interesting. You know, driving through the houses and the buildings is probably cooler than crushing things, to be honest. Like a mobile um, home or something or like an actual? Well, yeah, actual trailer houses are cool because they're, you know, they're cheap and easy. But we recently did a project. We went down into Iowa. There was a, there's a, a Bible camp that had decided they wanted to get rid of two buildings and build a new a new uh, facility on the property. So they, they wanted to creatively kind of, I don't know, do a, some sort of, some demolition. Cool yeah. Yeah. So we drove, we, we Make hauled the APC smile. down and, and we drove through it and we let the people ride in the APC. And a lot of these people have been going to this camp, you know, since they were kids. So they've been coming to this place for 30 years and now they're driving through it, riding in an APC. So that was, that's pretty cool. Driving through the buildings, watching the brick explode when you come busting through the other side. <laughs> it's pretty neat. Uh, how much body work do you have to do? I mean, I, I'm guessing the holes are, I, I don't even know, are they, are they forged steel? Is it, are they cast iron? What What's the makeup of the body on those? The APCs are plate steel, about half, 5A, some places 3A thick. So basically on the vehicles we demo buildings with, we just remove you know, the headlights and the toolboxes and things on the outside. We remove all that because it is valuable stuff. And then you're basically just – you have a box made out of half-inch steel plate. And it's hardened steel. It's not – you know, it's made so that bullets can't cut into it easily. So it holds up to buildings easy. I just keep going back to my desert trip thinking how badass would it be to roll into camp in the desert and fire the gun a couple times. Hey, the homeless have arrived! I mean, <laughs> if you did that, what – you'd have to have – got to imagine the, the local authorities would roll in because that would – the whole canyon – would revert yeah, right, out in the middle right? of the desert. It's actually between uh, where our, our mining claim is, is between Ransburg, Edwards Air Force Base, and China Lake Naval Weapons. Okay, uh, and, so I guess maybe they wouldn't but, be alarmed. But we get all these flyovers of all the fighter guys uh, just out tooling around, and so they'll do flybys. What would happen if you had a tank in camp? I, <laughs> that would be awesome. But the, if you're flying over and the, the guys look down, they see a tank, <laughs> tank. they're radioing in. <laughs> they're going like, we've got a tank. Hey, uh, hey, Redtail64, uh, <laughs> check check out the uh, tank down there at 6 yeah. o'clock. I don't know. I think it would be pretty badass to uh, have a tank uh, in... I just would I would do evil things. 
I couldn't control myself. Well, he's so Tony and his staff's there to make sure you with, don't with the button. Right now, all right, okay. So yeah. he's got three packages: the three-star lieutenant uh, general, the four-star general, and then the five-star commander in chief. And they start around three hundred dollars and go up to twenty-six hundred bucks. Now, if you're going for is that like, an hour? If you're, if you're going down with, uh, I don't know what that is. Describe, break those down for us, Tony. Yep. So all of our packages are designed to be a complete tank experience. So you start out, we go through a safety briefing for everything you kind of need to know about the property. Once that's finished up, we move on to a little bit about tank history because, the, honestly, the vehicles mean a lot more if you understand a little bit about them. So we give you a background of where tanks come from, why they're here, and then we go through our vehicles that you're going to use and with your package so you kind of have your questions answered before we get out there. That way, when you're ready to drive, we can drive. Um, so we start out with safety, go through history, and then typically on a bigger event, we'll split our groups in half. Half will go down and start doing the driving experience. Half will stay up in our building and do all the shooting and machine guns, switch out, do it again. When we're all done, typically we do all the car crushing together as a group. When the car crushing is completed, then we'll finish out with any of the five-star driving, the bigger tanks, the chieftains, the, the T-55, and all that kind of stuff. So it's... And, designed to be a complete together experience that way if you know you might think a t55 is a really cool tank but maybe 2600 bucks is just not an option well the cool thing about where our event days are structured is you can come and be part of it while that other person is driving it so you'll get to experience the t55 which is almost as cool as driving it um that way everybody gets to work together they get to see the different vehicles it's a it's a lot more open environment you get to meet like-minded people you know my customers travel from around the world and they kind of learn pretty quickly that everybody's similar has something in common so it's a great bonding experience to learn that you're not the only crazy person that thinks tanks are awesome. Nothing says team building like uh, crushing cars with like-minded people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, so do you have people flying in from out of the country just for your event? Or are they doing you, then they fly to California for Disneyland or Orlando, you know? Or is it, are they coming just for you? We have had people travel here just for us. Um, we had a family from India. They, India uses a lot of British vehicles, and he just found us and said, hey, we're going to. I'm, that that's kid what I want to do. went back to school and said, my summer vacation was so much better than any of you. Yeah, like, nobody's nobody's top. Had some as awesome uh, selfies on Instagram. What, what I want to know is uh, when you say full tank experience, at the end of it, do you have them, uh, quote unquote, simu simulate uh, maintenance on the tank for you? And then that way they can <laughs> feel like it was like in the uh, in the military and you get your tanks uh, oil changed. We, we always offer the full experience so they can stay and help us wash and clean up and do the maintenance at the end of the day. Funny thing is everybody leaves early for that. So. <laughs> of yeah. course. Now, are there any unique stories behind any of the tanks? Were any of them in particular battles that we would recognize or uh, any special significance to any of them? <laughs> It's typically difficult to tell. A lot of the British vehicles, they do keep pretty good records. You know, we've got records that show the vehicles were in Kosovo and some other conflicts with the Brits, um, but they don't really get detailed about what it is. A lot of that does have to do with crew privacy and things. Um, Sherman, the, the World War II stuff, you know, it's you're pretty sure any tank that was built during the war probably saw use somewhere, but a lot of times, unfortunately, the records aren't really real well kept. So it is difficult. Um, so as far as military experience, no, um, I have had, you know, experiences with vehicles. We had a, uh, I bought a Centurion tank from Texas and the truck driver that was bringing it home got stopped in Iowa 
and he went to jail because his, he was overweight, didn't have brakes, a lot of different things. Oops. So yeah, <laughs> wow. we, we, yeah, we, we had to rescue that thing before I went to impound. So that oh, was a little bit of a logistics nightmare. My tank got impounded. <laughs> like I, you'd still have the best bar story, though. It's right? not something that we will ever say. You know, I'm curious, did, you know, like on the B-52s, which have been around forever, and now there's like third or fourth generation pilots where a guy's grandpa or great-grandpa flew a B-52 and they're still in service and they've left, you know, writings or notes on the inside. So did you find anything inside your tanks that uh, that were of interest? We've found notes, letters in the floorboards. A lot of it's pretty pretty just basic stuff, letters to home, you know, nothing, nothing too interesting, just, you know, can't wait to get home and... See you guys, yada yada yada. Nobody drew wieners things. on these inside of the tanks <laughs> oh, because you weren't yeah. in them. <laughs> things like that, yeah, that's pretty common. <laughs> <laughs> See my people, I told you. Yeah. Uh, like another wiener up on the, uh, yeah. the dashboard. <laughs> I don't, do tanks have dashboards? I, I, well, I think so. They have they? gauge clusters, well, right? I, maybe I would. I think gauge cluster would be more appropriate than dashboard. Okay. Or how about turret? Since we're talking about a tank. Okay. All right. I feel better about that. Uh, so if people want to check out more, it's driveatank.com. And uh, Tony, why don't you tell us where your social media is, and that way people can see some of those awesome videos of you guys crushing things. Uh, that'd be at uh, Facebook slash driveatank. And on our website are the best places to check out videos. Um, check us out on YouTube, and I'm sure you'll have plenty of entertainment. And uh, if they want a discount, uh, just enter Truck Show, right? Is that on checkout? No? A 1% <laughs> discount. <laughs> I thought we charged extra for you. Hey, hey, how dare well, you? Well, you know us well, don't you? Uh, he, he knows the type of clientele we're, we're sending. Is it going <laughs> oh, we, have, we have good listeners. <laughs> yeah, there's a three or four of them out there. Mom, dad, and uh, your mom and dad. All right. Well, Tony, thank you very much for checking in with us. Uh, congratulations on the success of this. And uh, we wish we had thought of it, <laughs> yeah, but totally. you beat us to it. And uh, it sounds like a whole lot of fun. I so. feel like I want to drive through Minnesota on my next cross-country trip and uh, see if Tony will let me at least uh, look at a tank. It, at least there's one cool thing in Minnesota, right? <laughs> That's not true. There's a couple other things. I mean, was it? Do you have the world's largest pecan? Is that in Minnesota as well? A ball of twine. Oh, no, that's right. You got the ball, the ball of twine. twine. I knew one of them was up there. All right, so there's two reasons <laughs> out of Minnesota. All right, Tony, you're the best. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Nope. I feel pretty good about our new segment, uh, uh, Tank Talk. <laughs> <laughs> tank Talk. Oh, tank, I, I tank. like that. No, it's way better than TED Talks. Uh, how about, tank Talk. How about Auxiliary Tank Talk? And it can be a separate podcast that happens uh, once a week midweek. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, let's, let's okay. not do that. Right. Uh, let's learn about what's new in trucks. Okay, we haven't done that in a while. There's yeah. a ton of news in the truck world. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Ah! Uh, all I can hear is the air conditioning machine after that. That was like some great silence. What, just, what air conditioning machine? <laughs> you just flipped it off. No, nope, <laughs> still on. You forgot it. Why want to turn off? There it is. Now it's off. Oh. You guys probably can't hear that because you're in the car and there's road noise and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that. But for us, we're, we're sitting here with headphones on. I can hear here. everything. Yeah, and it's yeah. hot. And I know I can hear that. And it bugs. But oh, Holman's like, he's got it pointed right at him. Oh, it feels so good. Yeah, I you're know. wearing a hoodie. So you're like, are you just trying to sweat your weight off? No, I, I don't you're, know. You're, you're, you're I, I will never forget when I was in junior high. Diet. When I was in junior high and I had to like uh, sweat my weight down to so I could hit a weight <laughs> yeah, class yeah, of wrestling, wrestling. And I wore a wetsuit. And I jogged around the track for like two, three hours in a wetsuit. Suit, and horrible. I pulled it off, and it was just—I didn't even have to take it off because it just kind of slid off me like a snake's, oh. you know, like the it, noise that made. Probably <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> All right, what you got for me? God, there's so much going on. So uh, a, a little bit of like bittersweet news here. Uh, you guys maybe heard about the school shooting that happened in Colorado. And I, I don't want to go down that road too far, but to say that... I went down the road and we just got off and we went back the other way. Yeah, so okay. Kendrick Castillo uh, unfortunately lost his life in that, but he was the one who confronted the shooter and was fatally shot, but basically ended the school shooting. Come to find out through social media that he was a huge Jeep fan. And so a local Jeep club put out on social media that they wanted to escort his casket for his funeral. And between 600 and 800 Jeeps showed up at his funeral to escort that him. That is so cool. And I just want to say that's amazing for the truck community and the off-road community uh, for people to come together. You probably saw it on your social feed. There's a ton of stuff on, on Facebook and Instagram about it. But I didn't want to get too far down the road of the Truck Show podcast. We've been so busy lately, and, and we haven't done what's new in trucks. And I just wanted to throw that out there because it just, it just I don't know. It Warmed just, your heart? Yeah, I got the, I got all the feels. Yeah. And uh, I just feel it, like it rejuvenated my hope in humanity. So yeah. uh, Kendrick Castillo, 18-year-old senior at the STEM School Highlands Ranch, who was fatally shot. Uh, during a, uh, a a time when a gunman came in his classroom and he was remembered and, and honored by six to 800 Jeeps that came out to, to escort his funeral, which was uh, amazing. So if you that's were involved cool. in that, that's just kudos to you and to come together as as a uh, as an off-road community right there on. was It's interesting to say that about Jeep owners because there was recently an event in Rhode Island called, uh, I want to say something to do with Back the Blue. And 800 Jeeps showed up for that one. And it was all a charitable event for uh, fallen officers. Go you guys out there. I'm telling you, so what is up with our friends with Jeeps? Well, very uh, very community-oriented. I'm yeah. really- As a Jeep owner myself, I, I got to tell you, like there's uh, there's just, I, I, we may have talked about it on the show. I, there's just something about the off-road world and the Jeep community. When you are blowing an airbag on your way to the river, you're going to call AAA and they're going to come. Because yeah, ain't no other truck pulling a boat's going to slow down to help you. Right, exactly. When you break off-road... No, you know what they're going to do? They're going to roll down the windows and throw beer cans at you as you're sitting on the yeah. side of the Loser! Road. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then on the, the, the flip side is if you're off-road and you break down in a Jeep or a 4x4 truck, the next guy who comes on the trail might save your life. And so I think there's just that inherent community that's built into to the sport. And it's awesome to see non-Jeepers recognize that or non-off-roaders recognize that. Yeah. And it's just very cool. Uh, in other Jeep news, did you hear what Hennessy's done? No. What? Well, first they did the – you and I interviewed John Hennessy back at uh, SEMA when he had the Raptor, correct? Uh-huh. Okay. What has he done now with the Jeep? Is it a JL or a Gladiator? Uh, it's a JT, so Gladiator. Okay. Shoved a 1,000 horsepower, 933 pound foot of torque Hellcat engine in it. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, and it comes with uh, Hennessy's exclusive 20 inch wheels, BFG off road tires. The suspension gets upgraded to a six inch lift, and the inside's overhauled with the custom interior and leather and all that kind of stuff. John Hennessy said, quote, unquote, our clients want exclusive extreme vehicles that deliver a fun and exciting driving experience both on and off road. Mm. I'm going to go ahead and say a thousand horsepower will probably do that. Hell yeah. Now, what does this cost? Okay. Hennessy will only produce 24 of them. Oh. Takes four months to build. Okay. Two per month starting in July for the grand total of. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, this is going to cost me. Forty-five thousand. 
Two hundred thousand dollars. Oh, oh come on. Jeez, come I think on. the crate engine's forty-five thousand. Come on with that, dude. It's pretty badass. I don't know if it's hundred grand. Two hundred grand. I mean, limited production, lots of horsepower. And here's the thing: is he will sell Every, all of them. Yeah, they're probably already spoken yeah. for. I don't even okay. know why we're telling you about. I it. I mean, good for good for John. I mean, I just you can't. Yeah. Can you use the thousand horsepower? Uh, I mean, if you're using it to ruin tires, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, did you hear about Truck Hero? Yes. Truck Hero purchased uh, the other big boy. Uh, Truck Hero purchased who? Uh, our partners, Lund, who oh, left Lund, in their yes, booth Lund, at SEMA. That's right. That's right. So Truck Hero is now buying up everybody. I believe this podcast will be owned by Truck Hero <laughs> soon. These are the brands that they currently own. Advantage, ARE, Backrack. Back, Bedrug, X-Tang, Husky Liners, N-Fab, Omixeda, Retrax, Rugged Liner, Rugged Ridge, Superlift, Truxedo, Undercover, and the online retailer Real Truck. What, wow. What they add with the Lund purchase and the Real Lund, Truck is big, aren't they? Yep. Lund, AVS, Belmore, Amp Research, Rampage, Bushwhacker, Roll and Lock, Tano Pro, and Stampede. You have got to be kidding with Under that. Under one company. I wonder what kind of regulation uh, did, did, does the SEC step in? I don't think so. Is it, it's not publicly traded, it's is not, it? Wow, it's just a bunch of uh, money, wealthy investors. Yeah. Holy crap. I mean, that is, uh, that's something. That is something. I wonder, sometimes that's good if you work at one of those companies. Sometimes so, that's bad. Now, I will tell you, friends that I know who work at Lund seem to be very excited about it. Okay. So, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I get a little bit worried when big companies buy up everybody because at some point, if the economy turns, what happens when they start spinning them back out? Do you lose these great brands? What happens to the people? Well, you remember you know? when we had our friend Eric from uh, Amp Research, yes, head of R and D over there. That was like and two companies ago. It was two, com- <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what? He he's still there and he still enjoys it yeah. uh, and speaks very highly of Lund. So I think they've been they kept their brand intact. Now it's going to be interesting to see if Truck Hero does the same to Lund's yep. brands that yep. that Lund did to theirs. Very interesting. Wow. Uh, That's a lot of brands under one damn roof. All right. Uh, how about uh, our friends over at Toyo? They're making news. Uh, Toyo has a new tire fitment. I remember seeing a press release of someone uh-huh. for it. What, uh, I can't remember the size. 40. Okay. By 15.5. Yeah. R26. Wow. So a 40 on 26 for all you American force loving uh, truck builders out there. Toyo yeah. has got a tire in. Knowing Toyo, I'm guessing that it's probably actually has a, a payload rating for your for your truck. Um, I loves me some. Are those uh, their MTs? They're the uh, Open Country MT, 26 inch Open Country. Guys, okay. I'm telling you, uh, there's a lot of debate online. Um, I see on the various groups, Ford, the Duramax uh, Facebook groups, etc. They're like, "Yeah, I'm thinking about getting this brand, that brand, whatever." I am telling you, from this is a guy in Holman. You can back me up. You've run a lot of tires. I've run the a lot Toyo of tires. The Toyo MTs are amazing they rank, tires. They rank in my uh, in my top list for sure. Wow, are they damn good tires. I had six of them on my dually, and I have no... I love them so much, I would marry them if I weren't already married. Uh, if you head over to trucktrend.com, you can see spy photos of the 2020 Nissan Titan that will be unveiled later this year. No. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, okay, uh, can you... Embargoed. Embargo. Of course it is. Can you show me the uh, photo of the spy, uh, the spy photo? It's just a... Uh, uh, Flip it this with way. Some uh, camo on it. Oh, man, damn that camo! Damn that camo! The whole front clip is uh, camoed and the, up, and the back. Yeah, the back. So, um, but it looks good. It's a that's a stock version. I, I'd like to see what it looks like when it's well, they've got. They're, uh, they're not going to performance wheels and whatnot. Sure, they're not going to do that. 
No, of you course not. I can do that. Yeah. Go, you know what? Go help us out. Go buy a Titan. <laughs> yes, please. Five year, hundred thousand mile warranty. You no, know? <gasps> you don't say. <laughs> All right. Um, ooh, this is kind of uh, one of those things that sucks. So uh, you know, I get a you lot. You wet of... your pants. Yes, yes, and I need to leave right now. Actually, no, I enjoy sitting in it. Um, I get a lot of- I don't know why I brought that up. You just, there was a long pregnant pause. I was waiting for you to fill it. Uh, Transamerica Auto Parts. That owns uh, four-wheel parts, Pro Comps, Mini Built, G2, Poison Spider, Rubicon, and LRG Wheels. You mean the company that's owned by Polaris? Uh, The company that's owned by Polaris. (laughs) Yes. They uh, put out a um, warning email- a warning email? Why? Did, does something break? Is there a defect in something? Because Should on, we be calling Ted Moncure? Uh, as you know, there are tariffs happening right now. Yes. And a lot of their product comes from overseas. So on May 8th, the U.S. announced that it raised those tariffs from 10 to 25%. So effective uh, a few Fridays ago, May 10th, now an average incremental 15% tariff is being imposed on a specific set of goods that arrive in the U.S. next week. Aluminum parts? As of June 1st, they issued official new jobber and map prices. Mm-hmm. And that includes G2 Axle Gear, Pro Comp, LRG, Smittybilt, Poison Spider, and Trailmaster. So expect uh, prices to go a little bit higher. I'm watching, uh, like, if I, if you listen to NPR or the uh, the Smarty Pants uh, radio or, or TV, they're like, they keep interviewing people who are like, oh, this is hurting me. This is going to hurt. I, I think and, and, and I, I, think I, and I think short-term it's, pain for long-term gain. That's I think exactly that what I think. We don't make a stand now against the unfair trade practices that uh, we'll never get back to even footing. And I think that the more manufacturing we can bring back to the U.S., the better it is for the country, the better it is for our workforce, the better it is for institutional knowledge here in the United States of how to do things. Because literally there are industries that have disappeared where that institutional knowledge of how to create that widget no longer exists in this country. And so I think when you are able to bring those back and fire up the factories, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's always going to be a good thing. And uh, speaking of factories, I heard that uh, FCA is going to invest $4.5 billion to expand the Michigan production, including a new uh, Detroit plant. Fiat, Chrysler. Automobiles. And that'll grow uh, the electrification of Jeep vehicles. It adds a new Jeep three-row SUV, among other things. But $4.5 billion, that is basically four football stadiums worth of investment Wow! in uh, Michigan manufacturing. What do we know about this three-seat SUV? Uh, well, I would assume it's the Grand Wagoneer that's coming. Okay. But uh, who knows? Uh, there's not a lot of info out there right now about it, but uh, we, are we you, know that's coming. You do know or you do not know? I'm just saying. God damn. Uh, did you hear that? Uh, Two in one show already. Did you hear that the uh, 2020 Chevy uh, half tons? They're adding the 6.2 liter V8 to more Silverado models. Oh. And so uh, now you can uh, add an optional 6.2 liter V8 to the Trail Boss and RST trim levels, which joins the LTZ in the high country, which have offered the bigger V8 mm-hmm. uh, since the redesign. And uh, the V8 will uh, produce 420 horsepower, 460 pound-feet of torque, and be mated to Chevrolet's 10-speed automatic transmission, which is a real, just a sweet gem. Mm-hmm. Real beauty, that one. <laughs> uh, a lot better than that 8-speed that they had behind the uh, the older trucks. You mean the ones that uh, people are class-actioning a lawsuit? Wait, can you say it like that? They're, they filed uh, a class-action lawsuit? Just saying that that was not my favorite <laughs> transmission, and the 10-speed is uh, a darling. Now, you have one. driven. You've got some seat time with that with that 10-speed, right? Yeah, it's sweet. It's, and a, it's a nice trans. They did, they did a great job with where that. Where did you... 
you drove that. I'm trying to think one of the recent shows where you got some good seat time uh, behind the the ten speed. Uh, well, we had we had a ten speed for a uh, four wheeler pickup truck of the year. Right. Okay. And also uh, truck truck and truck of the year last year. Some of the higher trim levels. Okay. We also had the uh, the five through the eight speed as well. I just remember you were saying that it was never hunting for gears. It always yeah. felt okay. It was. It, it's as impressive. Uh, Ford, I guess, has a version of that. You know, the ten speed that's in all the Ford trucks. Mm-hmm. And I really like it in the Fords as well. It's a just a great whatever they did on that. Over that eight speed, you want more of it. I want more of it, yeah. <laughs> okay. Which I think is probably why they're, you know, adding that powertrain combo to more vehicles, right? Get the get the ten speed experience out there. Got it. All right, and uh, one last piece of uh, epic, amazing information mm-hmm. and news. Do I need breaking like the, it uh, now the to two, our listeners? The two thousand one Space Odyssey theme. Oh, that would be really cool. <laughs> The Truck Show Podcast is now available on Radio.com. What? Yes, it is. What? Wait a minute. That's the company I used to work for. <laughs> I know. How? What? So uh, Lipson, who uh, provides our hosting services. <laughs> what? Lipson, who provides our hosting services, has an agreement with Radio.com, and they picked up a bunch of podcasts, so yeah. we are able to add that to our destinations. We are. We're uh, everywhere. If you can't find the show, it's your problem. You're doing something <laughs> wrong because we are literally everywhere well you're listening to it but if your friends can't find it then they're the ones who need help they're missing thumbs at that point you know what i'm saying <laughs> they're missing lots of stars yeah five stars in fact yeah, five stars <laughs> but yeah so uh, radio.com worked with our hosting service and they're now importing uh podcast feeds from there and our our feed is now going to be on radio.com which that is, cool. is so funny because i went to radio.com and said do you want this podcast? And I knew some folks over there and like, well, they, could, they couldn't even get out of their own way. They're like, well, we like sports podcasts. No, we're now, on it anyway. <laughs> and now we just circumvented that red tape machine. Isn't that funny? Yes. So, I love this. That was a little nugget just for you, my friend. Oh, my God. So we're on iHeart yes. and Radio.com, and you yes. guys don't know this, but they are arch rivals. Yeah, we're on both. And we're on both. <laughs> and yes, high five. We're on Pandora. Yes. We're on Spotify. I loves me. We're on Spotify. Stitcher. Yeah. Uh, we're in TuneIn. Yeah. Uh, we're in uh, just Podcast Overcast, Castmark, uh, Castbox, uh, Overcast, Podcast. Castbox. Uh, Podbean. I don't know. There are all these. <laughs> if you can't find us, it's on you. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we're everywhere. Holman, we have a guest in studio. And no, I'm we don't. Actually, yes, well, we have, we have two guests. Well, we do have two guests, yes. But one will be on the air, yes. and the other one will just be looking attractive in the corner, right? In yeah. the- moral support. Moral support. Because when you come into the truck Hi, show- over there! <laughs> She's waving. When you uh, come into the Truck Show podcast, you just never know. You know, you need a friend to hold your hand. I don't- uh, Peter, do you need someone holding your hand? I- occasionally, I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. We're going to announce you first. We got to play your intro. It's the Utah Drum, baby! Yes, it is. It's the Utah Drum now! So it's the inside job. Peter Trity, you work at SEMA, the I specialty do. Wait, equipment. Wait, wait, are you going to get it right this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Specialty Equipment Market Association. That's correct. You have yes. learned over time. Because I, I used to say Manufacturer Association. All, everybody does. I just had it in my right. head for whatever reason, Peter, that I thought that it was the Specialty Equipment Manufacturer Association. Well, there's some history behind that. It used to be. And and so it got changed. Oh, snap, homie. Oh, no, no, no. That doesn't work because you're ill-informed or you're ignorant of the history. You can't be like, oh, yeah, I totally. You didn't Claim know it for your own. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go start my own organization. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you are. 
Okay, so Peter has a very interesting job. Let me tighten down my microphone here. It keeps spinning. Hold on a second. There we well, go. Well, should we preface it this with what happened this last, I don't know, week and a half? That okay. sort of led into uh, to us having Peter here? Well, that's not why he's here. It's a good coincidence, but that's not why I booked him. Sure, but let, let's let's we can pretend. Uh, now I'm curious. Well, we, I want to know what you're talking can't about. Can we be revisionist histor- historians here to try and like figure out how these pieces come together? We can have drunk thank history. You, thank you for just completely destroying any reason of why these things are happening. All right, all right, go all ahead. Right, all right, here we go. All right, so you had posted on our Facebook page at Truck Show Podcast a post, the one that exploded and had six hundred thousand uh, impressions. I'm bringing it up right now because I'm curious to see what it's at today. Please. Um, Let's see here. I'm going to our uh, our control panel, mm-hmm. and right here, as of right now, yep. Keep in mind, we have 2,800 fans on Facebook for the podcast. So not a ton. We're happy to have you all. But Thank you, not, but not a ton. 520,401 people reached and 132,754 <laughs> engagements, all organic, wow. with 360 comments and 2,032 shares. Oh, my God. And what was that post about? That post was about the F-450, certain years of the Ford F-450 being taken off the road. By uh, the state of California. By the state of California. By uh, January 1st of 2020, either needs to be replaced or repowered. Yeah, that that, blows. that delves in perfectly our friend Peter, who has it really does, studio. doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah, and actually, I can I, I now have some uh, background on that that I can share with you. Peter is the director of emissions compliance at SEMA. So now, if you're a company and you have ever uh, put out a intake, an exhaust, a chip, or whatever, and you needed a CARB EO number or some sort of a uh, federal or state exemption number, Peter's the guy who makes sure that the compliance of the manufacturer is meeting the the, I guess, the government compliance, right? right. Yeah, that's the idea. So uh, my role there at SEMA is exactly that, to help our members, SEMA members, who are manufacturing products that could impact emissions, uh, to make sure that their products are compliant and legal for street use. That's really what it boils down so to. So Peter is the best friend you didn't know you had. <laughs> I mean, oh, you mean me personally? No, I mean our listeners. Because <laughs> he's the best friend that I uh, knew I had. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he's the guy who can tell you why do we need to do this um, and what it takes to be compliant yep. and maybe even address some of the horror stories of what it's like to go through compliance. I think there's a lot of manufacturers out there like, my thing's been on the bottom of the stack. Other people pay money. Is that all true? I'm kind of curious. I think there's a lot of ground to cover. Well, there's the, and there's the manufacturer side, of course, and that's what Peter deals with a lot. But also, you have some inside knowledge as to how it's going to affect consumers. Sure. Yeah. And and you guys are probably listening to this in your truck right now, thinking, well, I don't, I don't, I don't make parts. How does this, you know, how does this connect to? Why do I care? Well, if you bolted anything to your vehicle and the check engine light did not come on and the performance was actually there, you have Peter and his team to thank. Because <laughs> yeah, he's making true. sure that you're not going to you know, be flagged or there's nothing that's going to go on that, that the manufacturer's computer and uh, you know, the vehicle doesn't like. And so the fact that things are so seamless today, I, I'd say, listen, there's a huge discussion about the emissions side. You're on either side of the story. But one of the benefits that we cannot argue about is that products are better today with today's computerized cars because of guys like Peter and his team, because he's making sure that, A, it's a seamless install that doesn't trigger any other problems down downstream, basically. Right. So you may not be in California, and you may be a guy who has a truck, and you're bolting on that carb legal 
intake because that's what the manufacturer who also sells that product in California needs. And you may not care, but the fact that it goes on, it works, and it doesn't cause any drivability issues or check engine lights is part of what Peter's team ensures you know, that their members are putting out quality products for the end user. All right. Well, said. thanks for stopping by. <laughs> All done. That was easy. So let's talk about the F-450. Um, do right. you have that pulled up in front of you, Homer? I do. Okay. It's from the California Air Resources Board. It says, uh, truck and bus regulation notice, 2020 compliance deadline reminder. And uh, I had heard rumors about this. In fact, this had happened to uh, big rigs a while ago here, Long Beach Port, LA Port. There's a lot of uh, people who are running older trucks, and all they do is pull you know, off a container, drop it off someplace locally, and come back. And so the state wanted those vehicles to be in the clean air compliance because obviously the port was a huge concentration. And then it expanded, I guess, to uh, over-the-road truckers and small businesses. And, you know, at first it was the big businesses, and I think there was a delay or extra time for a small business. But these guys who owned one or two trucks were like, I can't afford a new truck and I can't afford to repower my truck. I'm going to go out of business. And there are some waivers and whatnot. This is the first time that I've seen it go down to the 14,000-pound gross vehicle weight rating class. And it says, uh, Dear Diesel Truck or Bus Owner, You are receiving this notice because the Department of Motor Vehicle Records indicate that you may own a diesel vehicle subject to the California Air Resources Board CARB on-road truck and bus regulation with an upcoming deadline, which will require you to take action on your vehicle. The regulation seeks to reduce exhaust emissions from diesel trucks and buses with a gross vehicle weight rating that are greater than 14,000 pounds. By January 1st, 2020, lighter vehicles, 14,001 to 26,000 pounds gross vehicle weight rating, with a 2000 to 2003 engine model year, will not be compliant with the truck and bus regulation, and the DMV registration mm. will be automatically denied. Ouch. And when I think of 2020, I'm thinking that's not that old. Without, or 2000. Right. But it's coming yeah. up on 2020. That's 20 years. Yeah. And it's yeah. hard to believe that I'm old enough where I go, oh, no, that's, that was a couple of years ago. And I'm like, whoa. Not so much. 20 I mean, years ago. Remember when the 7.3 first showed up on the scene? Yes. And how, I mean, that was like, that was the newest, latest, and greatest. I, I, I Realistically, that was the first electronically controlled diesel on the market. Right. And uh, it it's really the engine that kind of changed diesel, the name of diesel. It you know made it into a performance type of product, yeah. you know, t- type of an, a vehicle, an engine. Absolutely. And then you had the uh, the later 5.9s mm-hmm. uh, and 6.7s. And then you kind of had those emission gaps where Cummins was the last who, I guess, through in-cylinder pressures and things like that, were able to delay the inevitable of adding DEF and after treatment and whatnot. And um, what, what, so what, 2007, I think, is when those, that started with the. Uh, I was going to say it was 07, 08, right? Mm-hmm. When Peter, when they started yeah. using the DEF and, and yep. DPF. Well, D, uh, DPF first showed up in 2007. Uh, DEF, probably the first appearance of that was around 2010, 10. 2011, something like yeah. that. Yeah. How did we arrive? Oh, well, we should answer this question. We should talk about the F 450 first, but I want to find out the origin from, you know, from DEF and STR sure, sure. and, you know, and So DPS let me just finish the, uh, this note really quick. Yeah. There's three. The, there's three pieces that say what you need to do to be compliant. It says you must complete one of the following actions. So just to complete this, the story here, number one, replace or repower the vehicle by January 1st, 2020. Nope. Qualify for a flexibility option and report CARB's regulatory reporting system, the TRUCRS. Rather not. Number three, submit proof to CARB that the vehicle is exempt from the regulation or does in fact have an engine model year 2004 or newer which may have a later compliance date. However, you may no longer be in compliance after 
2020. See the table on the second page for compliance dates or visit arb.ca.gov slash excluded TB for more information on this. So I'm assuming the excluded people would be governments, fire trucks, police cars, things like that. I actually have some good news about that. There, okay. there, are, there are actually some exclusions. So, so first, let's kind of back up a minute and think about how, how this comes, comes about. Realistically, this started probably two, two and a half, three years ago. This is something that was put into law, you know, a couple of years ago. So it takes a while for them, you know, for the government agencies to kind of get everything in line. Wait, are you saying that the government is slow? You know, (laughs) it it happens. Okay. Um, So... So we know, you know, that this is something that, that took place a while back um, in terms of, of it actually being enacted. And the, th- the reason I bring that up is because I, I think it's really important that we pay attention to what's going on in, in government, right? What are the laws that are being passed? Are we voting about these kinds sure. of things? We all, we all have a voice when it comes to this kind of stuff. So Well, you found, Peter, you find that the – I find that the loudest voices, all the delete guys and stuff like that mm-hmm. – they're not voting. They're not paying attention until it's way too late. See, that's the all problem. the guys like they're the, hel- the angry mob, but yeah. they're not proactive. The, in, in all the Harley riders that, that, that were pissed off about the helmet law all those years yeah. ago, like what happened? Why do we got to yeah. wear helmets? Like, bro, this, you know, you weren't paying attention. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's really important to pay attention to what's going on. So, anyway, so now we got this law that's coming into effect, and um, I first heard about this a uh, couple of weeks ago. Got a note from someone that said, "Hey, you know, one of my customers is." I uh, got, got a note from the uh, California Air Resources Board that says he's got to repower his vehicle. What's up with that? So I started looking into it, digging a little bit. And uh, so basically what's going on, it's uh, like you said, Sean, it's a lot like what happened with the big rigs, right? Yep. The big rigs, um, older big rigs were being uh, forced to either repower or uh, retrofit DPFs to them uh, or, you know, they, were, they had to be replaced. Um, so it's the same type of thing going on, but now we're moving into lighter categories. The good news that I've learned is that um, there are some exclusions. So what they're really focused on here is fleets, right? Just like with the big rigs, that's, that's really the issue is, you know, they want to they deal with it this, this at a fleet level. There are some exclusions that are that if that F450, and, and we're talking about the F450 because that's really the only vehicle that, that within this year model range that's mm-hmm. kind of impacted by this, right? Sure. Um, there's probably some some heavier duty. You know, when you're in the GM market, you're the dealing Kodiak with a top kick. Yeah. You know, you go from the from a 3500 up to a top kick. So there's right. there's you know the F450 and 550. They kind of fall into that gap where it's still something that like our, people that tow their RV trailers and uh, you know uh, toy haulers and that kind of stuff. The F450 is a pretty popular vehicle for that kind of thing. We're talking about the very first gen of the F450 pre-pickup truck. So for those of you who are thinking, oh, my F450 pickup truck, that actually didn't come out until 2008. That was a 6.4 liter power stroke truck. That truck was on a medium duty chassis. So the difference between a consumer version of the truck and the medium duty is that on the chassis cabs, which Mm -hmm. have a different frame rail spacing, they in a different wheelbase, they didn't have beds on the back. So these early They didn't? No. They okay. were available only as a chassis cab. Oh. However, the gray area here is you may have an F four fifty from two thousand to two thousand three, which is this window that we're talking about. If it has a pickup bed, there was an aftermarket upfitter that put those on. And so this is talking about those chassis cabs, not the consumer version of the F-450. Now, when the consumer version of the F-450 came out in 2008, it was an actual medium-duty chassis. It was available as a crew cab, eight-foot box only. However, it had the F-350 wheelbase, and Ford had put the back half of the, basically the shape of the F-350 frame on the back of a F-450 in order to have a crew cab and a shorter eight-foot box, not the longer 
you know, commercial medium gotcha. duty. The difference was back then that 2008 F450 that actually had a medium duty frame weighed in at 1,417 pounds more than that generation's F350. <laughs> so the curb weight of an F350 okay. dually back then was 7,270 for a dually crew cab. On the F450 crew, uh, a dually crew cab was 8,687 oh pounds. God. So again, we're not talking about those consumer F450s. And by the way, today's F450 is basically an F350 chassis that's been beefed up that has the wide track axles and some different 19.5 inch wheels and different rear end and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The F450s that we're talking about specific to this note were all chassis cabs in that generation. So I'm glad you mentioned the pickup truck bed because the purpose of this law, the whole idea behind this law is really to... Because um, the man the man hates us. <laughs> is to uh, <laughs> to kind of catch some of these vehicles that, that don't have DPFs, right? They're pre-DPF, so they're you know, a little on the dirty side with soot and, and particulate matter. We can talk about what particulate matter is later if you want. So so the target is not the RV owner or the, you know, kind of the truck enthusiast type of owner. Uh, and because but it, of but that... But it's going to affect... Affect them well. So the thing is, there is an exclusion in there for um, if that vehicle is being used for RV type use. If it's solely used as a, a, to tow an RV trailer, um, then there are exclusions available for that. Now I'm still learning a little bit. This is this is all very fresh information to me. But I believe the way I've read the the information that's been provided, if that vehicle has a pickup truck bed, it can be excluded from this. Requirement. No kidding. So when you're dealing with an F450 that has a service body or a flatbed or you know something along those lines, you're that's going to be that's yep. going to be different. But because those are work trucks, right? Those are being you know those are in some type of a fleet situation. Uh, but if it has a pickup truck bed, uh, it is you know it's likely being used for to tow you know a recreational trailer. Uh, it's being used for for that kind of stuff. So uh, individual owner kind of a, an arrangement. So in those situations, there are exclusions available so that you don't have to go. through I wonder the how they're going to how you would exercise that exclusion. Yeah. So I think that's probably going to happen at the DMV level. There's, you know, someone's going to inspect the vehicle to to make that conclusion. It sounds like the letter we read earlier going into the segment had a uh, website that you could go to that we mentioned that I guess that's probably where that information would be. Right, right. right. So uh, I think, you know, if we, uh, we, we can do this in, in the notes from the show or whatever, but we can, you know, we can probably provide some of that information so that uh, so it's available to consumers. <laughs> we don't put up notes yeah. in the show. <laughs> what, are you mental? You know what's funny is uh, I'll, I'll talk to other podcasts. We're like, yeah, we have this really robust notes section where we highlight everything, and I'm going, God, I wish we could Boy, do that. We don't remember <laughs> we get the show. Broad assumption we don't there, we remember I? the emails we read last episode. <laughs> <laughs> We've read emails twice. Yeah. The guy's like, hey, you read my email twice. Thanks, dude. We're yeah, like, do we get two shirts? Oh, no. Right. Oh, geez. It happens. <laughs> so let's talk about types of emissions equipment. Let's go through that because I think right. that um, we do – For I noticed that um, – at, at banks, and, and you were at banks for how many years? 20 years. Oh, hot damn. Yeah. yeah I am in my it? first year. You that's only incredible. have 19 years to go. Yeah, that's yeah right. exactly. Let's, uh, let's talk to the audience and tell them, uh, explain what the various uh, emissions equipment pieces are. Because a lot right. of guys drive gassers, and they yep. have no knowledge, and why should they? So I think it's important to understand it, you know, what, what's required of a vehicle, right? What, what, did, what does the government require as far as what comes out the tailpipe? So there's, there's a few things that are, that, that are regulated. Um, right now, the regulations cover hydrocarbons, carbon monoxide, oxides of nitrogen, and particulate matter. 
Uh, a few other little things too, but those and are those are the main. Particulate matter is particulate matter is soot. So little any, charcoal briquettes. Exactly, which you which you see coming out the tailpipe as smoke. Uh, you know anything black, unburned fuel. That's particulate matter. Whereas Gail would tell you untapped potential. Yes, right. wasted fuel. Exactly. Might as well just take the fuel can and, and dump, dump it on, it on the, the ground. ground. <laughs> yep. Right. So yeah. So those are the things that are being paid attention to. So um, over the course of time, um, the the standards have gotten tighter, and so you, what we've seen is a progression of emissions equipment to control those things. The first piece of emissions equipment we ever saw in a vehicle was a catalytic converter. Actually, it was probably air injection was probably the first thing. But, okay. but then uh, the catalytic converter came on the scene in the 70s, right? Isn't it weird that we just all have cats and we just, it, no one ever talks about the catalytic converter. Kind I mean, forgot about some it, right? High performance like sports cars, the guys yank them off. Yeah. Uh, um, that's not true because I believe about five times a week on my, uh, either uh, my next door app or on my uh, Facebook page is somebody whose cat was stolen in the middle of the night. Well, yeah, well, what, that's because they have silver or silver oxide or yeah, something they're loaded, strange in them. They're loaded with precious materials that are that are expensive mm-hmm. and uh, can be recovered and you know used for you know smelted down, yeah, turned exactly. into a, a ring. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> right. The catalytic converter was kind of that first uh, piece of emissions equipment. It's been around since the 70s. They've obviously improved since then. We really don't think of them as being a, nearly as restrictive to airflow as, as we used to. You know, they used to be. And and the first catalytic converters were designed to control hydrocarbons. That was that was the main concern that everyone had. So how are we gonna how are we gonna clean up the hydrocarbons? A catalytic converter does that. Who wants that? I mean, as a car enthusiast, anytime you see an old car, remember when you used to walk out in your garage and if you were to light a match, the whole place would go. Up. Yes. We were following, I don't know, it was like an old Mustang <laughs> or something. My daughter's like, Dad, I love the way that smells. I'm like, oh, that was my childhood, kid. <laughs> then people like Peter came along and messed it all up for No, us. no, he's saving us. <laughs> That's so funny that we can smell your childhood. But yeah. it also smells like, yeah. Uh, yeah, dirty socks. Uh, or my lunch, well. actually, yeah. in this small <laughs> podcast studio. <laughs> so then the next step uh, in progression was the three-way catalyst. So that's now a catalyst that can control more than just hydrocarbons. So it's it's able to, to minimize carbon monoxide and NOx. So a three-way catalyst has has that capability. NOx, nitrous oxide. And oxides of nitrogen, yeah. There's multiple different f- uh, forms of NOx, but we just kind of lump them all into one category and call it NOx. Okay. Different oxides of nitrogen. So um, so the, the catalyst is kind of that foundation, right? The next thing that kind of came on the scene was exhaust gas recirculation, um, EGR. The whole purpose of EGR is to pull in inert gas that's already it's in the exhaust stream and recirculate it back into the intake system to actually reduce the combustion temperature. And by doing that, what you do is redu- you reduce NOx. Which is why you have EGR coolers. Right, yeah. So, so the whole purpose of the whole EGR system is really to put the inert gas, that, that it's you know gas that won't be recombusted, mm-hmm. into the cylinder so that you reduce the combustion temperatures. NOx is a result of high combustion temperature. So by reducing that temperature, you bring the NOx down. So EGR systems, that's what they're designed to do. Then and the Ford 6.0 guys are very familiar with that, right? <laughs> exactly, well, they're, they're yeah. very familiar with, with them the coolers. not working. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so on the gasoline side of things, that, those are kind of the two primary items that we have in terms of emissions equipment. But on the diesel side, there's, there's more going on. So um, we have catalysts on diesels. Um, we have EGR systems on diesels. Uh, but then we start uh, getting into around the 2007 model year, you have diesel particulate filters. So this, this marks a point in time when the standards for particulate matter, soot, uh, started to uh, come into play. 
So prior to that, the, the standards were either loose enough that uh, that a, a diesel particulate filter wasn't necessary, um, or you know the, the the OEMs had other ways of of bringing that particulate matter down. But around 2007, some OEMs all they did was they just changed their press release and their specs. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how they did that. <laughs> so around 2007, there's a there's a change in the standard. So now it's it's more difficult to control those emissions. Keep in mind, a DPF is not uh, a requirement by any government agency. It's the standard that's the requirement. Right. So the manufacturers have a standard, and the only way they could meet that standard was by bolting on a DPF. Exactly. So they came up with technology, or someone came up with that technology, to to, to control that that output. Uh, And and Holman and I have had this discussion with with other guests and with with listeners and such that – there were a, a, a span of what Holman five, six, seven years of, of trucks that were designed prior to that mandate that suffered from corking up the exhaust system, right? right so these right. trucks had been designed in let's call it oh four, oh five, oh six, but then all of a sudden the government said, you got you know you've got to change this truck, you've got to meet emissions standards, mm-hmm. and so. These these trucks all of a sudden had horrible uh, power output because they were being corked. Or just yeah, yeah, drivability right. wasn't drivability, good. whatever. Slow slow turbo. Well, you know. and when DPS first came out, man, there 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 was a lot of issues with them, right? Yeah. I mean, you had you had fire shooting out of the coming back. out the tailpipe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the technology was new, right? So so it took a little while and for that to was really it the work itself out. LBZ or the LM, and one of them had a fifth or excuse me, a ninth injector downstream of the engine right. on the Duramax to yeah. uh, to help heat up. Things that had come out of the engine, yes, right? Yes, I mean, horrible well, gas mileage or fuel mileage, I right? should say. Yeah, a, a DPF is a unique thing. It 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 operates on heat. It's basically an oven. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you got you have to have enough heat. Now, there's two ways you can get that heat. Um, we call it either passive regen or active regen. Passive regen is you're going down the highway and you have enough weight on the truck, you're towing a trailer, whatever. So you're generating enough heat coming out of the engine to to get that regen activity happening where you're reducing the soot. Um, if there's not enough temperature, then you got to add fuel. That's why the extra fuel injector is to get that extra fuel into the exhaust stream to get the heat that you need. You're talking about greater than 1,100 degrees, right? Enough to melt aluminum in some cases. Yeah, yeah. You're, okay. you're generally operating around 1,300 or 1,400 degrees. If you were measuring temperature at the inlet to the DPF. Which, right, if you remember, to. speaking of the aftermarket, there was a period of time in the early DPF days where manufacturers would put mild steel for their diesel exhaust. And so all the manufacturers raced to have a stainless steel exhaust because that was what was premium, finding out that the stainless would crack or shatter under regen. And so there was a lot of issues with, quote unquote, performance aftermarket exhaust until manufacturers realized they had to change up their blend in order to do that, or they had to go back to mild steel in the aftermarket. And that wasn't, it was a harder sell because the customer's always been told, oh, you want full stainless exhaust. And- we got to the point where there's basically an exhaust tip now. You don't really get an exhaust system on a current diesel truck. Right. You get a big, cool tip. You get a, a tailpipe. Yeah. yeah. Now, so explain how, the again, the, the diesel particulate filter, it, it senses. So there's a sensor before and after the Correct. diesel particulate filter, mm-hmm. and it's measuring the pressure difference in and out, right? Correct. So it says, oh, hey, it's, it's corked up. It's clogged. And if you guys, um, you've probably never seen one, but if you were to take a bandsaw and cut your diesel particulate filter in half... I liken it to, it looks like a honeycomb slash pumice stone. Yeah. When it's full, it looks like your wife's pumice stone that she'd grind the corns on her feet with. Do women have corns? I don't know. It's just a funny <laughs> word. Like, what do you do? With, aren't, who gets corns? There's like old people like, ah, my corns are killing me. Fields in Indiana? No, I don't know. <laughs> okay. No. Anyway, so 
it, it, it's it's and I, you can't imagine that your truck is able to breathe through this right. apparatus. Yep. And um, so it looks at how full this is getting, and when it decides that it can't blow any exhaust through it, it heats it up and basically burns it out, spits it out the, the tailpipe. Well, it's not exactly doing that. So, what is it so doing? what's happening is uh, when what what you're doing is reducing the soot, the particulate matter that's coming out of the engine. You're reducing that down to ash. Mm-hmm. So it is a filter, right? So uh, a filter gets over time gets plugged up. So so this filter is goes through this regen process. When it's in an, a, a regen uh, mode, uh, the soot that's in that DPF is being reduced to ash. Now, over the long haul, 100,000, 200,000 miles. But Peter, hold on a second. Yeah. But, but you think of that it's already ash. That's where the disconnect is, mm-hmm. is that the, the, the owner of the diesel truck thinks, I'm blowing out ash. I don't get so it's not ash. It's unburnt fuel. Correct. That I know Gail always likes yeah, yeah. to call it you know charcoal briquettes. Yeah, there's still right? potential in that soot. Yeah. Right. So it's not ash. So right. you, what your DPF does is turn that on those little briquettes with power yep. into actual ash. Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay. you're reducing it all the way to ash. And then a DPF can be serviced. Generally speaking, it shouldn't need it until you're 100, 150,000 miles down the road. Uh, but a filter, it is a filter that will eventually fill up and it needs to be serviced. So DPFs can be cleaned. They can be taken off the vehicle and cleaned. Uh, or replaced, but uh, but yeah, DPF does need to eventually go through. I ran into there it. are yeah. those maintenance modes though. Like Chevy now has it on their, I believe, the 2020 heavy duty, where you can run a regen uh, stationary cycle. regen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. From now, all the the recent Duramaxes ha- have had it, but it was a diagnostic tool. They're actually putting that in the DIC for the owner to do it if they want to, which is the first time I think a manufacturer has allowed the user to command a regen in a stationary position. Otherwise, it's been fully automatic. Well, uh, so in the medium-duty trucks, if you had a, a bread van, a FedEx van, and it happened to have like a new yeah. Duramax or something, in that case, those guys are doing so much idle time and they're right. doing short trips that they never they never meet the qualifications to activate a regen. Yeah. So they're yeah. able to pull off in a parking lot where it's free of dry brush or anything. Mm-hmm. And on the dash, they're able to command a stationary regeneration. Yep. Whereas um, GM and Ford don't give the user that that ability. It's not a button on the dash they can command because because it's dangerous. Yeah. Right. Um, and some of the aftermarket tuners like you know Banks and some others, we give that ability through you know a little diagnostic device right. and and it's necessary. Like we've saved guys in high altitude. Up in Denver, a lot of guys aren't able to regen mm-hmm. for, because the air's too thin, the engine's not hot enough, or whatever the whatever you know. It doesn't. There's 12 parameters. You could speak better to this than I can. Parameters. Parameters. Oh damn! See, you. you totally missed it. I totally missed my own thing here. I know. Master monitor key engine parameters. We'll explain the uh, <laughs> that drop shortly. <laughs> All right. So guys aren't able to regen in, in, for various reasons, and um, so there are devices now that allow you to put your hood up, and it spins up to your engine will spin up to 2,500 RPM. And it sounds like a jet's taking off, mm. but it will go into that regen mode and 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 blast it all out of there. Um, what I find is interesting: a, a lot of first-time diesel truck buyers don't understand that their truck is doing this regen mm. on the dash. All it says is keep driving. Yep. It doesn't tell them what's happening, right? And just, so, and it doesn't say how fast to drive, or how, or how long far, to drive, yeah, or how far, or anything. So they end up just going down the street to Seven Eleven. They go, it does keep driving. I don't uh, get it. I actually know somebody with a uh, Grand Cherokee Eco Diesel, and so you think consumer grade family vehicle, right? And she had very short trips: drop the kids off at school, come home; drop the kids off, pick the kids up, come home; go to the grocery store, come home. Nothing long enough, and called me and said, "Hey, I have this." light came on the dash that says I need to keep driving 
and I'm like, oh, okay, you have not gotten your diesel up to a high enough temperature for it to do a regen, and basically you need to go drive 20 minutes down the 405 freeway and 20 minutes back right. at highway speeds, and you should be fine. And that's what you ended up doing. But right. it's you, you don't think about it because diesel has – it is so pervasive now in light duty vehicles that people drive them like they would drive a Honda Accord or they would drive a Ford Explorer or whatever, right? And so you don't realize that there is a different duty cycle to owning a diesel. Well, it's kind of interesting because what you're talking about is the progression of diesel into a more consumer market, mm-hmm. right? Um, it used to be heavy duty trucks, yep. and then it was you know kind of these hardcore pickup duty trucks, yeah, yeah, pickup trucks, yeah. you know, and then and now we're moving into the light duty truck market and in the car segment. So. Yeah, it, there's there's a little bit of education that comes along with that, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people just they don't understand kind of how these things are working. Well, you you would hope that they would buy the new truck at their dealer. They get the new 2.8 Duramax or whatever, and and the guy would say, "Oh, by the way, is, is your first Dur- you know your first diesel?" And they would yeah. explain what these things are. But I'm I know that they say it in the manual, but no one reads manuals right, anymore. Yeah. If it's not on YouTube, you don't find out, yeah. right? You don't interface with consumers, really. You, Me personally? Yeah, you personally. Uh, on a rare occasion, but yeah, my the main uh, my main area of, of emphasis is with uh, SEMA manufacturers. SEMA is an organization that uh, we've got roughly 7,000, 7,500 members. Uh, those members can be a variety of different types of people. It can be a manufacturer of product. It can be a distributor. It can be a retailer. It can be a media outlet. Um, so we have a we have a, a you know a lot of different types of members within the manufacturing segment alone. We're probably at about twenty five hundred members. Wow! Now you take those manufacturers and narrow it down further to those that are making performance related products. So manufacturers could be you know you could be making uh, step bars or uh, you know bed liners or those kinds of things. You know, so so those are manufacturers also, but they don't deal with emissions related related. Sure, products. yeah, making leather seats doesn't matter. But we we figure the performance related products is a is about five hundred manufacturers. So so it's that group of five hundred manufacturers that I'm working with on a regular basis. And so they're approaching you. They're calling you up, saying, "Well, they, they the various stages like uh, we we already make performance equipment, and now we know that we need to make uh, emissions compliant." Or, or, or how about this? We We've been designing intakes and exhausts for years, but in order for us to sell to these compliant states, we need to be in compliance. If that person or that company were to come to you, what's that process look like to start the process of A, getting their products compliant or re-engineering and getting their products to a compliance level that it can be approved? Well, let me me make a quick clarification before I I talk about that, and that is that um, there are two agencies that oversee emissions quality or, or air quality in the United States. One of them is the federal EPA. They oversee that for the entire nation. And then the other is the California Air Resources Board. They oversee air quality in California only. The reason that the California Air Resources Board even exists is because they predate the EPA for for overseeing air quality. So um, because of that, they've been allowed to continue to promulgate their own. Sort of grandfathered in having a tougher standard than the rest of the country. And generally speaking, automotive emissions um, in California have always been tighter than federal. There are 11 states now that go with California? Now more. more? So, So what you're talking about there, yeah. those are states that have adopted the, the standards standard. for, for, for new vehicle sure. sales. Okay, right. So mm-hmm. the new vehicles that are sold are meeting the same standard as California. The reality is that the standards have now gotten so close, the EPA standards have gotten tighter. So they're pretty much in line with California now. So realistically- Because before, if you wanted to buy a car out of state, you would have to make sure that it was in a state that 
that was certified for California emissions because mm-hmm. you could not bring that vehicle into California without 7,500 miles and yeah. well, you know, a bunch of bunch of rules and stuff. Well, like I mean, that. yeah, because most cars today are 50 state emissions legal. Yeah, Tenor, I, I had a motorcycle that was 49 state, right? Yeah, I had yeah. to get it registered in Arizona, and that was a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 10 or 15 years ago, it was not uncommon to see vehicles that were federally uh, emissions uh, compliant versus California emissions yep. vehicles. But today, it, it's more cost effective for the for the OEMs, the manufacturers, the vehicle manufacturers, one spec. to do one spec and just yeah, and just meet meet the standards for for all 50 states. So I just wanted to provide that clarification because yep. um, what that means is, and, and both California Air Resources Board and EPA have rules that say you can't take a vehicle that was sold in a certified configuration and take it out of that certified configuration unless you can prove that the product that you're putting on the vehicle does not have a negative impact on emissions, right? So both CARB and EPA have that those rules. So for our, for our member companies, those 500 companies that are making these products, they need a, a way to do that. Now, you, you could, there, there are ways that you could say, well, I'm, I'm not going to worry about California. I'm just going to make a, make sure my product is 49 state legal. But realistically, it's the same process. Well, so there's no reason to really why, yeah, why would you go do one, and there's one also path sort of, the other. Uh, again, there's sort of two parallel tracks here, right? One is the federal emissions requirements, which is removing a DPF mm-hmm. or something where you'd be in violation of federal law right. versus making an intake or something like that that has a CARB EO number on it. Right, right. So those are sort of two different things of, of what enthusiasts do to up performance. Some are taking things off, EGR, DPF, whatever. Some are adding things or changing a configuration, again, right. an intake, a turbo, et cetera, a, a, a tune on it. And so those are sort of different, right? That one is one is you're running afoul of federal law and one is allowing you to sell it in states that require that for a small well, emission Oh, I mean, you, you go on, I mean, like right now you go on XDP or you go on a, a lot of the sites mm-hmm. and they'll say, and you click on a, a, a turbo back exhaust for your, for your Duramax right. and they go, we don't ship to California. Right, right. Period. And that, and that's how they get around it. Right. And so if you want to buy something from, you know, Worley Custom nope. Fab. Nope, you don't. Because you don't want to buy something. No, from them? I'm just saying you don't do what you're about to say you do. That would be ill. I'm not saying that. I know. I'm just saying that. I'm not even going to say it. You wouldn't do it. I'm not going to say it on the podcast. What podcasts. you're thinking, you wouldn't say it. You wouldn't do it. Okay. Just, <laughs> so I'm Sean, just saying that they say don't. I, we're not shipping. I, I'm just saying that we just we. Yeah. Luckily, so, all of my relatives live in the state, so I can't do what I was going to suggest. <laughs> <laughs> but let me come back and answer your question, Sean, because I think what you were asking was, well, what do those companies do? Right. Yeah. I want you to answer, but before that. Even though they, quote unquote, can't ship to California, doesn't make their product legal even in their own state. That's correct. I think that's one of the bis- big misunderstandings is, well, if I just don't ship into California, I'm okay. Right. That's not the case. That product, because EPA has the same rules, it's called the Clean Air Act. Clean Air Act was, it was enacted back in the 70s. Um, it has basically the same rules that exist in California, and that is you can't take that vehicle out of its of its certified configuration unless you have the proper demonstration of emissions compliance. So the, the trick comes now with the, the fact that EPA doesn't really have a method for you to certify your product, okay? There, there is a, a clause within the Clean Air Act called Memorandum 1A, we, and we use Memorandum 1A all the time when, in what we do at SEMA. And basically what it says is, hey, you, you, you can demonstrate that your product, you, you, if you go through a, a, a process and demonstrate that your product is compliant, 
and and that meets a reasonable basis, a reasonable engineering basis, then you're good. You know, you you do that testing, you keep that information in your files and go ahead and sell. So essentially what it is 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 there is not a testing procedure for the aftermarket to do that with the feds, but because there is one for California, right. if you were to take the California right uh, route, that meets the reasonable requirements of it the really federal does. standard. That's exactly right. Okay. So the nice thing about California is they have a procedure, they have yep. a process, and the end result of that process is what we call an executive order or CARB EO. You've probably heard that term. Does that product have a CARB EO number? It's a sticker you put under your hood, so when you get a smog check, the yeah, guy, the guy puts it, up, it in the computer. Puts yep. it in the computer. By, by the way, yep. if you're if you're not from California, you don't know how tough it is for smog now. The vehicles have, if you look on a, on your door tag, has a VIN, but it has a barcode. So the guy yep. can scan the barcode on your registration. He scans the barcode on your vehicle. They have to match. There is a dyno. It knows what the basically the uh, parameters of. God damn it, twice already. <laughs> monitor key engine parameters. Um, See, it was per- supposed to be uh, monitor parameters, uh, pr- parameters, and she said parameters. Parameters, parameters, yes. Yeah. So anyway, it, it understands what that range is supposed to be on the vehicle. So from a uh, from a standpoint of knowing what data is coming in, mm-hmm. and then there was I don't know if it ever got activated, but I, I know that at some point there were even cameras that were on the. Uh, smog machines were going to be that would take a picture of the vehicle that was on it to make sure that people weren't swapping in a different right. cleaner vehicle. So it's not like you just go to, you know, Joe in the back and slip him a 50. I mean, there was a time you could do that. That doesn't exist in California anymore. That is right. that is a very, very, very We are very strict, difficult. and that's yes. why people from other states call us California. You know, uh, and yeah. they're selling with, T-shirts with, with the with the uh, with the sickle over <laughs> yeah. uh, over over the bear. Uh, so what? No, 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 over Sacramento. <laughs> so yeah. what's actually happening now, Sean, is uh, instead of we used to have a dyno test, right? You know, you would bring your vehicle to the smog shop, they'd put it on a chassis. Dynamometer. Well, before that, you had just a sniffer; they'd stick it right, in, right. you'd run it through a, a thing. The computer would say, "Rev it up here, do these things." And then we went to the then dyno. We went to the dyno. The dyno's gone now. Okay. Smog check doesn't even use it. For some isolated cases, yeah. it still gets used. But but what they do now is they plug uh, a diag- plug into your diagnostic port. OBD2 so port. The OBD system, the CARB looks at the OBD system as an onboard uh, emissions station. Oh, wow. So so the whole system, the, it, the vehicle has a built-in emissions system on it. It's the OBD right. system. So right now, you the, uh, the smog shop just plugs into that system, does a few, you know, scans. What if you're pre-OBD? So OBD2 so pre-OBD is, is when 86. Right, uh, OBD two started uh, in ninety six. Sorry, yeah. So pre OBD two, you would probably still run the dyno test. That's okay. probably why they still have that Got capability. It. Okay, but, um, but anything ninety six and later, you're plugging in that port, plugging into the OBD port, and and scanning the information on the vehicle. But part of that information is the VIN. Right. So now they know if there's a mismatch, they're going to know. Right, and and you get flagged, and right, right. you don't want to get flagged because the process that you have to do to unflag yourself by going to a referee and bringing a bunch of paperwork. It's it's not easy. You basically that vehicle gets flagged as a cheater, and you are screwed until you can prove otherwise. And California has two tests. We have the emissions test, but we also have the visual test. So you may put on a product on your vehicle that doesn't have an EO number, that is clean as stock, yep. and it passes the sniffer. If it does not have an EO number, you do not pass smog in California. It doesn't pass the visual part of the right. inspection. Yeah. That's exactly right. So the CARBO is is vitally important to these companies for them to be able to sell that product. So so to answer your question, most people are coming to us to obtain a CARBO. 
So that's really what, what our job is. I've got a staff of about six people, that, uh, myself included, that are, you know, this is what we're doing all day long. I remember is, when you started, it was like a staff of you and a dude. It's right. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's like two of us, and, and we've grown, but we've grown considerably, yeah. but it's because of the demand. Now, car, um, the CARB staff has uh, also grown as well. I mean, correct. they've got like Matt Wilson, who used to work at banks as well, yeah, yeah. and a lot of banks alumni in the, uh, in the, in the green sector now, as we it's like true. to call it. Yeah. And so they've ramped up their staff to help yeah. um, aftermarket companies. You're helping aftermarket companies. Yeah, we're really trying to get, I mean, SEMA's message is, guys, you got to be on the straight and narrow. If you want your business to survive, uh, you don't want EPA and CARB enforcing against you because that's going to drive you under quick. To, 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 that, to that extent, so um, two days ago, um, I was, I won't say the company name, but it was a distributor of many different, they, they focused in diesel products mm-hmm. and they were just hammered by the EPA yep. and levied a sizable fine. It's just mm-hmm. another one in the long line of this happening. And um, so I wanted to talk about that for a minute. And the guys who are doing, we've, we've talked about this before, you know, guys have been doing flash tuning on gas trucks, gas cars. Mm-hmm. They still do it. I mean, dude, if you have a Miata or if you have, you know, a, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a Mercedes or a truck, you can flash the computer. You can remove. Uh, you can you can turn all the emissions equipment off potentially. And once it's off electronically, doesn't see it, then you can physically unbolt it and throw it in the dumpster. And that's coming to an end. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the the only the reason it, it you know it's kind of coming to an end is because of what I talked about earlier with with the OBD um, analysis at Smog Check. Um, w- along with that, you're, you're, as you're reading the ECU, you can do things like verify the calibration that's in the vehicle. You can verify the checksum or they call it a, a CVN or something along those lines where, where everything about the ECU is being reviewed and scanned. So if you have a program in there that doesn't have a CARBO associated with it, it's going to get flagged. So what about the guys and the discussion that I hear all the time, which is, oh, but I only use my truck for off-road use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a, that's a uh, often misunderstood terminology. Um, so off-road, let, let me say it this way. There are um, regulations that pertain to off-highway vehicles as well as on-highway vehicles. So all the UTVs that are being produced today, um, motorcycles, there's, there's a lot of off-highway vehicles that are also regulated. So just to say that it's for off-road use isn't sufficient. There are exclusions for racing use. So you can still you know, have some of those products that are deleting emissions equipment if they're intended for racing use. The problem that most companies run, run into is if they're selling it for racing use, but it's not, they know that it's not being used for racing. They're selling, right. you know, 10,000 units. Well, there's not 10,000 cars running DPF deletes or, you know, 10,000 trucks on drag strips that are, that need DPF deletes to run them down the drag strip. Right. So that's really where that problem comes in. And, and I'll tell you right now that when, when CARB or EPA, if they're going to enforce against you, the very first thing they're going to do is ask for your sales records. And they're going to look at those sales records and they're going to look at the numbers of units that you've sold of something. And that's how they're going to know, hey, you know, you're saying this is a racing product, but it's not, you know, it's not being sold that way. What about the guy who lives in Idaho or the many states that don't have smog checks or they don't have? And so they is is that a is the clock ticking for them or are they going to are are they going to have another 20 years before? Well, there's still there's still a country. Uh, areas within California and certain counties that don't have the same smog check yeah. requirements that we have here in the metropolitan area. Sure. The issue is not smog check. The issue is the Clean Air Act and in California, the vehicle code. 
those are the the, the uh, legislative or the the legal uh, bodies of. And by the way, the vehicle language. code is what an officer, the statute an officer would use to cite you yeah. in a being if you're it's pulled a, over. Uh, it makes like the Bible look small. It's yes. law. The CBC you know, is giant. It, yeah, it's it's law. So it's those laws that you have to be concerned with. It's not just whether or not you have smog check in your area. So, um, but but that's I feel like that's not true because it's in all practicality. If no one's going to check my truck, the EPA is right. not going to come knocking on my door. Will there will there come a time when the EPA will say they will if you're s- announcing it on a podcast? Well, I mean, no, it's, I think it's we're having an open discussion. And this Jay is- Tillis, Long Beach, California. <laughs> Yeah. So, will there be sobriety checkpoints for your truck, where yeah. they're going to get under your truck with a with a mirror? They already do that. They already have yeah, those. They're, they're optional, and people don't know that because there's usually a CHP officer with them. Flag me if you're in California, and you've ever seen the white van and the mobile dyno in the trailer, the white trailer on the side of the road, and it says mobile emissions test, and there's somebody flagging you, and those are optional. You do not have to stop, and many people will stop and end up. Finding themselves cited or yeah. now what those are doing th- those are information gathering points what what uh, uh, that's actually being uh, administered by the Bureau of Automotive Repair and they're gathering data they want to understand you know kind of what's going on out there in the real, real world so even if you came in with say a DPF delete on that you probably wouldn't get a citation at that point but but you they you, know right you 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 <laughs> potentially would get but you know, it Peter, down isn't the, road. the way I could understand I could see like your VIN being flagged if you go yeah. to get smogged. Yeah. They would validate or check. Smog check that. is where all those things are yeah. going to come up. So, but let me ask you this. You, you, there's two ways for the EPA to go about this. They know that it's guys are continuing. They will continue to try to break the law, not not because they want a dirty truck necessarily, but because they, there's money to be made on these tunes. Because there are guys right. who either, A, still some old school guys who want to roll coal because it's fun, right. or they believe that they're going to get a lot more horsepower by having you know n- no cork. If the EPA or other government body locally or federally, went after the end user, the the uh, the market would dry up. But right now they're not. They're yeah. going after distributors, manufacturers. So so just to be realistic about it, I mean, they've got a limited staff, right? And they're so they're going to go after the big fish. They're going to find the sources and try to shut it off. Not the, the onesie twosies. Yeah, it just so so that's where you know that's where EPA and CARB are going to focus their efforts first. But it doesn't exclude. Uh, the end user from potentially being snagged. Uh, well, the way the laws are written, it, it, this is uh, companies that manufacture, companies that sell, companies that install, companies that distribute, and 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 people that use the product. I mean, all of those are at risk. In fact, uh, we spoke about an email that we had gotten not too long ago from one of our friends internally here, where for the first time, and I'll see if I can find it, they were talking about um, carb going after the end user who mm-hmm. purchased the product. And before it was never like that. Right. The end u- user, maybe you get caught in smog and you'd have to rectify it at a referee and make it all. But we're talking about like actual fines and 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 that's sort of scary for a lot of people. Sure. I thought, that Peter, that there was some talk about um, CARB teaming up with either Highway Patrol or the Sheriff's Department or something and trying to create a, a task force to do this, to 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 come after the end user, because if you you started, not that I certainly don't want it, but it seems that that's the way the California operates. They will start finding people, and if they're out there doing like say they put up a ten by ten white tent, right. and it's like a sobriety checkpoint, and they've got a mirror under your truck looking for a DPF, and if you don't have one, they they flatbed your truck away, and it's ten grand to get it out of hawk. It's going to dry up real fast. Yeah, so I think the way to look at this is, you know, they can. 
the enforcement agencies can be effective by going after the large distribution points, right? But you're probably not going to hear about that in the news or in social media, right? Because that company, they don't want to broadcast. It's that embarrassing they just and it's expensive, exactly. right? But if, if end users get hit, you're going to hear about that pretty quick. So it's the difference between an effective use of your time and energy versus the message, the messaging that comes from, say, enforcing against an end user. So I think that the agencies are probably, I'm not aware of you know the task force that you're talking about. I haven't heard of any of that kind of stuff going on. But certainly there is a strong message that would get sent when you, you, hit, you hit a couple high-profile guys or guys that are going to be all over Facebook and Instagram with the fact that their truck just got towed away because they had a DPF delete. You know, uh, that's going to that's gonna start to spread. That news will start to spread pretty fast. All right. So, in fact, I just got an email um, yesterday okay. on, this, on this exact topic. So, this was from uh, Tim over at Airflow Research, and he had uh, sent it out Tim to Tim Torcarian. Yep. I like Tim. He had sent us out from uh, the California Air Resources Board. He's been kind of keeping us apprised of some of the things being discussed. And the title of the email is, Aftermarket Parts Procedure Workshop, Discussion on Proposed Procedures for Exemption of Add-on and Modified Parts for On-Road Vehicle Engines. And there's an invitation to participate through the California Air Resources Board. In the background, it says, uh, where the where California Air Tampering Laws and then list California Vehicle Code, prohibit the sales, operation, modification of engines or vehicles from their originally certified configuration, the aftermarket parts program evaluation procedures, uh, procedures for exemption of add-on and modified parts, provides the process and criteria for manufacturers of add-on and modified parts to obtain exemptions to legally sell parts in California. Add-on and modified parts are defined in the California Code, blah, blah, blah. The procedures are intended to be robust enough to demonstrate that the aftermarket parts will not adversely impact emissions, the original emissions control system, and the onboard diagnostic system of the certified engine or vehicle while providing industry with less complicated evaluation protocol. The procedures were last updated in June of 1990. Since that time, engines, vehicles, emission control technologies, and strategies have changed, become more complex. The procedures have been have provided industry and CARB with the tools necessary to continue the evaluation of aftermarket parts as a standard, and test procedures have changed. However, staff wishes to revisit the processes or processes? processes? I like processes. And uh, test protocols to surely reflect current procedure and technologies while providing the tools necessary to evaluate engines of vehicles in the future. The purpose of the workshop is to discuss a draft replacement to the procedures and solicit additional feedback. Uh, Tim adds in his note also that uh, in addition to regulation changes and fines that CARB and EPA are looking into, they've also expressed the desire to modify the test procedures. This is it. Tim had brought up the fact that they were looking at uh, going after the end user, which was sort of the first time in the aftermarket we've heard that. So, you know, I mentioned earlier being involved in the process and, you know, paying attention to what's going on. And this is one of those opportunities. This is the space I live in. This is exactly, um, you know, what I deal with every day. Tim, by the way, also does. He comes to a lot of these meetings. These are, uh, Carb calls these workshops. It's it's an opportunity. It's basically an opportunity for your voice to be heard. Um, Is Carb cool to work with? Meaning, are they they the Gestapo? Are they, or are they, because you could perceive them as uh, from like another state they're like if you're from idaho you're like carb sucks we want them to go away there's they're 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 the thumb of oppression on us and and yet they probably don't view themselves that way they just want blue skies right Right, they want clean air you know it's a great question and it's just like with any large organization you're going to have some some People that kind of you know Militant? go along with you oh, okay. on, on on what you believe and you know are friendly to you, and then there's going to be those that are going to be harder to deal with. It's it, it's like that, you know. In it's a government bureaucracy, right? So it, there's red tape. There's there's things that are you know just the process gets 
muddled and and it just it it can take time to get through the paperwork process be, and and yeah there are people that are you know that understand what we're trying to accomplish and understand that the aftermarket products can be clean and yet beneficial beneficial to performance and 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 fun to have on your vehicle and there's others probably within the organization that don't really care so they're they're just there to do their job you know um part of the reason I'm in the position I'm in is to build relationship with those people so that we're, so that we're constantly following, um, you know, what's coming down the road. Um, we're able to express on behalf of our industry, what, what's going on. This, the notice that you received from Tim, this is exactly, it says in that email, these, um, procedures, they're they're discussing the procedures for obtaining a CARBO. And are these Um, open to the public? Uh, they, or, I or think it's, it, it's, it's an invitation. It probably is open to the public. It's an invitation to stakeholders. It's an invitation to the, the industry that's impacted. Right. So I, I received that same email and I send it to all my contacts within those 500 companies so that they'll be aware that this is right, happening well, and they can speak. If that's it. the case, Wednesday, June 5th, <laughs> it'll be this Wednesday, <laughs> uh, 10 to 1 PM at the California Air resources board at the, uh, Hagen or Hagen Smith auditorium annex four. And that's wow, uh, this is going to be fun. 9530 <laughs> Telstar Avenue, El Monte, California. So, in El Monte? El Monte, yeah. That's where their headquarters are right now. Um, and they're, they're getting ready. They're building a brand new lab in, out in Riverside. Riverside. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. But, let, you know, um, the procedures themselves, they haven't been revised since 1990, right? And we know technology has changed dramatically in those years. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, right? That's pre-internet. So so I've been in in constant discussion with the people at CARB on these this revision. And I'll tell you, you know, there's some things that are going to be a little more difficult probably because things are a little more, you know, technical and there's more things going on. But they're also working hard to streamline the procedure so that it doesn't take as long to get an EO and that the EOs that are being assigned are relevant to the products and the way and the way they evaluate the products are relevant to the product. So uh, all of those things are being taken into consideration. And I got to say, you know, they really are working hard to make sure that that things get done in a reasonable process while maintaining good air quality. When the Air Resources Board was formed here in, in California in the late 60s, you couldn't see the mountain. You know, I, I live in the San Gabriel Valley. There were days, I mean, the mountains are 15 miles from where I live, and you. so there were days you can't see them because yeah. they're just covered in smog. And we don't have that problem anymore. We used to have days where we couldn't go out and play on the playground because of smog. Alerts. Yeah, we used to. I, had, I was fortunate enough that to, growing up as kids. Yeah, fortunate, yes. We're, we're close to the same age, and yeah. I was, and I would play in the uh, older. swim. And the yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm near death. I'm sold. No, uh, and I would be out in the backyard with my brother swimming. Yeah. And I would after your lungs about, would burn about about three o'clock in the afternoon. Yep. I couldn't breathe, and I have to yeah. go in and watch uh, bad cartoons at three and in the we afternoon. We probably had. I, remember, I couldn't breathe. We had. I don't know. It was some ridiculous number. It was like fifty smog days a year. Yeah. And that would be part of the California weather report growing up is like whether you would have an unhealthy air day and you don't really hear about those anymore. But yeah, you go out and look today and and the air is clear. You know, generally speaking, we have really good quality air. And and that is largely due to the efforts of the California Air Resources Board. Now, with that in mind, things have changed, right? So the standards have gotten tighter on vehicles. The air is cleaner now. But it's also a bureaucracy that's grown during that time. So it's hard to kind of scale that back, right? That, you know, unless a, a governor were to come in and clean house, it's probably not going to happen. The, the the bureaucracy still exists and still kind of is is self perpetuating in a certain way. 
And there's good things about that, but there's also, you know, difficulties that come along with that. And that, and those ag- that agency is then, um, you know, kind of buried in there in what they do. And, and, and so kind of getting back to that idea of, you know, do they really understand, do they pay attention to, you know, what's going on in the industry? Yes and no. It's just, there's, there's some of that, that, that just comes along with bureaucracy. And then there are people within that, that organization that do understand and do, you know, try to see that the, see through the trees and, and understand. So it. a lot of your, um, the, the clients, I guess you don't call them clients, but the people, the companies that you work with making performance parts, a lot of them in Indiana, stuff like that, where mm-hmm. emissions, uh, you know, the local emissions uh, laws are, are different or, yeah. or n- non-existent. Just, you just right? have EPA, right? Just EPA, right? And the EPA is not knocking on anybody's door that, you know, when they come to your meetings, how do they view it? Are, are they like, oh, this sucks, California's ruining everything, or are they, do they understand that it's inevitable? That they you know, have to that they have to abide by some of these laws. That's a great question. I think um, I, I think that a, a company that's new to the process probably would come in and say, "Man, this seems ridiculous. You know, how am I supposed to comply with all this stuff? Yeah, how do you even navigate that?" Yeah. Right? Um, so I'm sure that you call that, Peter. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I'm, I'm you, sure there's well, first you get your SEMA membership, right? Then you yeah, call Peter. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm sure there's a sense of that, but I think um, as soon as you're a company that's been hit with some enforcement, or the you know someone in your space has been hit with some enforcement activity. Man, it becomes a reality really quick, and the cost of doing, you know, being compliant becomes much less dramatic than the cost of paying those fines. Yeah, I liken this whole thing to Janet Jackson. Let that me, is and, so weird. And let me tell you why. Okay, please tell us why. So pre Janet Jackson, I'm not following. Pre Janet Jackson, pre so tell Janet me more. Jackson at the Super Bowl. When Justin Timberlake, oh, you're talking about the wardrobe malfunction, the wardrobe malfunction. When Justin Timberlake reached around her and and right, do you remember that? Okay, I, I do. <laughs> so prior to that, uh-huh. television didn't used to have uh, dump buttons, a delay. So they couldn't, they weren't, uh, they didn't operate in a delay. They had no way of masking or bleeping content. Right? It was live, was live, was live. Like if it happened, too bad. F bomb gets out on the air. Too late. It's already out. Morning radio. Morning radio. Radio stations across the country were all owned by big companies, one of which was CBS. CBS had the Super Bowl that year. Janet Jackson had this wardrobe malfunction. Within days, all the radio stations across the country got warnings that said, you cannot say this, you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot do this. It was very, very serious. Worse than uh, George Carlin's seven dirty words? There, well, seven, that doesn't, that's a whole nother thing. But <laughs> it was very, very serious. And... What happened was is that all the morning shows that operated blue, right? That had always talking about women's parts and this and like and and just they weren't cursing on the air. They were always pushing that line. Stern being one of those, they had to all of a sudden clean their act and they had to work harder to come up with comedy that was clean. Again, or they went to satellite radio. Or they went to satellite radio where they could. They just didn't want to adapt. And I was there in radio during that period and morning shows all across the country were going, I don't know how to be funny and not talk about this type of content. It forced morning shows to work hard again. They couldn't just be lazy and be funny and 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 make fun of lowest common denominator. Low hanging they, they had to up the bar. And I, I, this feels like the aftermarket industry. It's forcing, it will weed out the crappy engineers. It's true. It will weed out the guys who just want to make, who, who, if you have a fab shop and you can bend tubing and you can TIG weld, it doesn't make you an engineer. It makes you a fabricator. And, and you need to be an engineer because now 
you have to not only out-engineer CARB and EPA, you have to out-engineer GM, Ford, et cetera. You need to be better. Right. And if, if you're not, you won't get your, your CARB-EO. You won't be able to outperform the OE. So it's forced everyone to up their game the way it did in radio. And the morning shows that stayed and existed post-Janet Jackson got funnier. They just had to work harder for it. So, did let, I tie it up? Did I, I did I bring the Janet Jackson? Thing let me take no. let me take your analogy. <laughs> I, all I heard was me, me, me. Used to work in radio. Me, me, me. Also me. Let me tell you about me, 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 right, me, me, if me. If you want me to go back and highlight me shows from this podcast, <laughs> I got seventy of them. But for they're all uh, Holman focused. Hey, it's not my fault that uh, <laughs> that I've been in the industry. <clears throat> no more about trucks than you. Let me uh, let me take your analogy one step further, though. Uh, the wardrobe ma- malfunction in. Automotive Peter, you just witnessed like a little, like a fight right here. It was like that's it was cool. Like, it was like husband yeah, and wife. Real. No, that, it was not husband. And you and worked wife. it out in real time. It was like you know? jail cellmates. <laughs> oh, All right, well, uh, so let me take it one step further. The wardrobe malfunction for the automotive aftermarket is rolling coal. The enforcement was high was, five tying into Janet Jackson right there. See, Holman. <laughs> See, without our friend Peter, you would have been just dangling in the breeze. No, I'm not Peter. I was talking to him. He got he's talented. That's yes. why. Enforcement from Carbon EPA <laughs> was nearly non-existent prior to the the removal of DPFs, right. really for the purpose of or you know people that that actually roll coal for for fun. So about right? that time, I was the editor in chief. I I I of uh, Diesel Power Magazine, right. and we were very clear on not covering trucks that had DPF removals and not yeah. talking about that stuff because we didn't want to hasten our own demise. Yep. And we realized back in the late 2000s that all this jackassery that was going on YouTube was just spotlighting it, the diesel exactly. industry. And, and so, it did so much to undo so much goodwill that we had, and just it, it almost killed the diesel industry. It's shone, it shone a light on the industry for carbon EPA. I, I don't know if the story is true, but I heard uh, that EPA was doing a study out in Colorado on one of the steep grades. They were they were looking at um, air quality in the area and were measuring soot coming out of uh, heavy duty diesel tractors, right, uh, semi trucks. And uh, so they're they're taking readings and figuring all this stuff out. And while they're doing this, they're noticing all these pickup trucks going by with all this black smoke coming out the tailpipe and realizing, well, that doesn't seem right. Started doing a little deeper investigation and started finding out, oh, there's companies out there that are allowing for the DPS to be deleted and, you know, then these guys can roll coal and all this stuff. So, um, you know, whether or not that's true, it, it certainly makes sense in that the, the idea of rolling coal shines, shines a spotlight. Guys, don't do stuff that, that hastens our own demise because it's a slippery slope because Let's let's talk about let's say it's twenty years in the future. Now electrification is king, and mm-hmm. most people have you know either advanced hybrids or all electric vehicles. <laughs> What's going to happen when you want to tune up those electric motors, and now you have you know like a Tesla with ludicrous motor or whatever, and they look at that as increased emissions because you live in a part of the country where your electricity gl- grid is not clean, and now you're taking the efficiency of that electrical system. And changing the output. What if they put look at that as emissions testing, right? What if what if that's the future? What if we kill the ability for us to have fun at all because we're irresponsible with what we're doing today? Yeah, it's a, it's a good warning. Oh, this just went south really quick. <laughs> Got super <laughs> impressive. Debbie Downer. Yeah, but you know, to come back to what you're saying, it, it does elevate the the technology, right? The there are um, aftermarket companies out there that are doing really smart things with their products. To remain emissions compliant and to be in that space, even you know, and still be still be legal. All right, 
let's take it on a positive note. Can How many companies have you been impressed with that have improved performance on trucks or cars? Because it's not just diesel. You do with a lot of gas, any, anything with an engine, yep. right? Yep. Um, how many times this last year in 2019 have you been like, wow, I'm impressed with this exhaust, this intake, whatever, it actually outperformed the standards and beat you know, whatever the OE had set out to do. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, just to kind of throw a number at it, I'd say about one in five projects that we do, I'll, I'll be, you know, kind of have that impression of that, that was kind of cool. I didn't maybe didn't expect it to pass or or whatever, but it but yeah, we were able to get it through. So, yeah, it, it happens. I mean, a lot of what we do winds up being a little mundane. You know, it's kind of stamping the boxes and making sure that uh, that everything's uh, meet, meeting what it, the, the criteria that it needs to meet. Um, but I would I would imagine that you guys are bringing um, experimental parts to you saying mm-hmm. we believe that this is, you know, the next uh, the next greatest greatest widget. And you look at it going, I don't even get it. You've got to dig into it to help this guy get his EO. And in some right. cases, you'd be like, oh, my God, they have they may have just solved a problem I didn't know existed. Yeah, I mean, it, it that opportunity exists, right? There are, um, you know, better ways to to get things done. But, you know, you can build a better mousetrap. You know, I said earlier that uh, the DPF isn't requ- a requirement. It, Carbon EPA didn't come out and say you have to have DPFs on your trucks. The, the it was just that there was a standard that they had to meet and the way to meet that standard was with a DPF. But what if you came up with a different way to do it? Well, what's, and speaking of that, I have heard rumors that people are trying, are working on things. The uh, fish carburetor. No? The <laughs> That's an old wives' tale from like the what, 70s and 80s where there was a carburetor called the fish carburetor that gave you 100 miles per gallon. And it was pervasive in the... Uh, in the automotive community, as the rumor mill of like pre-internet, a and, fish uh, carburetor, fish carburetor. You know, Google that. It's, is it's that like funny. headlight oil? Yeah, right. Blinker fluid. <laughs> Innovation happens in the, the aftermarket. Valves. Most things that you see on a vehicle today that are kind of standard features started as something that someone in the aftermarket designed and made a reality, and then the OE- the OEMs see it and say, oh, well, they, you know, they either license it or steal it or whatever they do, but eventually, you know, it becomes a standard thing on a vehicle. Cruise control is a good example. You know, cruise control used to be an aftermarket thing. It was it was an add-on part that's that you could add to your vehicle. And now every every car that comes off the production line has cruise yeah, control. Yeah, and like radar jamming. That used to oh wait, that still is. <laughs> the future of for the for the truck owner, the diesel truck owner. I well, I guess if you if you've got a gas truck, you're not really there's nothing to delete, right? I mean you can take the cats off. So there's nothing yeah. if you got a gas truck, you got a V8, something like you're you're kinda so, yeah, so here's an interesting yeah. thing about that. Uh, I mentioned particulate matter earlier, right? One of the technologies that we've seen in, on the gasoline side is the, the advent in the last few years of direct injection. Direct injected, turbocharged, so you see the DI gas or you know DI turbo gas cars, which produce a lot of hybrid, hydrocarbons, so, and they're actually getting close to emissions of diesel in some so respects, take a right? look, take a look at a tailpipe on mm-hmm. a vehicle that has direct injection sometime, and you're going to see a so, lot of soot. Yeah, you look at a, like, I've seen it What's on- What's an example, yeah. A uh, white Kia, like a, a Stinger GT that has their, their 2.0, I think it is, uh, direct injected turbocharged, some of the Ford V6s. Look at 2010 and later Camaros. Look at the tailpipe ah. on a Camaro. Yeah. You're going to see a, a lot of two, soot out of it. Two-liter four-cylinder turbo, right? Uh, well, on the on the six point two, the V8. Oh, really? Those are direct injected. But uh, so what we're seeing is, you know, the 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 advent of direct injection is awesome. I mean, it allows you to do certain things with with um, 
with a fuel that uh, uh, you can you can run lower octane or you can you know get more out of out of uh, the combustion process with direct injection. But the problem is that the side effect of that is more soot. So now there are standards, and you know, carbon EPA are paying attention to this, and they see okay, direct injection, cool, but we're seeing more PM coming out of gasoline engines. So now there are standards, PM standards, particulate matter. Uh, standards for gasoline engines. So now that's being regulated too. And those standards are going to get tighter and tighter over time. Will they need DPF So at some what point? they're going to need is not a DPF, diesel right. particulate filter, a, but a, a gas, gas particulate yeah. filter. Yeah. Oh so my God. A, a GPF. I, I predict that in the next couple of model years, you're going to see vehicles here with, with GPFs. Um, we see um, we see it in Euro- Europe has GPFs Yes, now. sir. Am I, this new vehicle has a GPS and a GPF. <laughs> exactly. like, oh, I'll take both. <laughs> yeah, no, right? You don't want both. No, both are given to you now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know... The, it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, I love diesel. I've I've, I've worked around diesel for you know since I started at Banks, and, uh, and and so it's been 25 years that I've been you know close to diesel, and uh, and I love it. But the thing that I I don't love is all the after treatment, all those things that are necessary yeah. to kind of keep it clean. Gasoline has for the last few years has you know the technology with turbocharging has gotten really good, yeah. and you're seeing really good results out of uh, out of the gasoline uh, uh, turbo market. Uh, F-150 with an EcoBoost engine, you know, that, that that's a pretty good performing yeah. vehicle. And there's very little after treatment. I mean, you got a catalyst and that's yeah. it. You and know? that 2.7 version, which is actually a different engine than the 3.5, not a detuned version of the 3.5 or a D-sized, it's actually a different engine, is for 2.7 liters, yeah. holy moly, that thing is really yeah. impressive. Yeah, to, to answer the question, I mean, yeah, I, you know, today there's not a lot that people are yanking off of those gas engines to make them run better or whatever. But I think we're going to see more of that, you know, with with more treat, after treatment in the future. Do you need to have uh, urea at some point in the gas cars? Do you think? Not or? sure. It okay. depends. Uh, you know, uh, good EGR technology can yeah. handle uh, the NOx, and, and SCR is mostly about NOx. And most cars are lightweight. It, it changes as you get into heavier weight yeah, classes, true. right? Like yep. that, That's part of the solution, which is why, you know, uh, well, this is probably a bad example, but for example, a, a Volkswagen Passat had diesel exhaust fluid. But a Jetta didn't. Mm. But then I guess we can throw all that out the window because it was all dirty anyway. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The reason the Jetta didn't is uh, is a little problematic. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I I wish that our listeners had access to you for for questions, but they don't unless they have a buddy at a shop, and then they would contact you through. Well, here's what I'll say. you know, I, I like I said, I'm I'm happy to answer questions, uh, and and I do get occasional questions from consumers. Um, check out SEMAGarage.com. It, it kind of shows that that uh, some of the resources that we offer to SEMA members. So certainly, if you're listening and you're you're a, a manufacturer of these products. Um, or you know a manufacturer these products that just you know is kind of scratching their head about emissions stuff. Have them get in touch with me. My contact info is on that website. So um, you know I'm happy to happy to field those questions. Um, I do because I have contacts at California Air Resources Board and in the Bureau of Automotive Repair and even some within EPA. Sometimes people will have a problem they don't know how to solve, and I can point them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So even though I may not be able to be hands on with it, I can point them in the right direction. Gotcha. I feel like I've learned a lot. Yeah, this little discussion. Would you like to come back sometime? Because I feel I, like we just scratched the uh, the surface. Yeah, of this there's one. there's a lot more to talk about, and I'd be happy to. Yeah. Okay. Peter uh-huh. Tridy, director of emissions. Director of emissions compliance. 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 That's yeah. what I get for shorthanding my own notes. I'm like, <laughs> director of emissions comp completion. Uh, yeah. Clown town. What is this? <laughs> what, what is this? <laughs> oh right, man, director of emissions compliance at SEMA. 
which obviously is an amazing organization for all of us in the aftermarket. And we appreciate your time uh, hanging out. With well, thanks for having me. It was, it was a pleasure being here. I'll bet you we're the only podcast to have you on. Like, I don't think you're going to be on Ronnie C10 talk anytime soon. You, you know might, what I'm saying? You like, might now. I think we have. Uh, <laughs> I think we have Peter cornered. Stand by for your uh, podcasting uh, schedule to uh, get real crowded real soon. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great. Thanks, thanks guys. Holman, can we do some five-star hotline? It has been a long time. I think uh, the answering machine is full. Oh, come on and be part of the show. Call the five-star hotline. 657-205-6105. It's the five-star hotline. Five-star hotline. Lightning and Holman, this is Brian. I'm calling you from the driver's seat of my 2017 Nissan Titan XD yes, with the Endurance 5.6 liter gas V8. I'm calling you guys because I was your Instagram insider that sent you the dyno chart on Instagram of the CFT Performance Nissan Titan XD ah, with that 5 liter yes. coming. The one that made 600 horsepower and 1,000 foot-pounds of torque plus. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was a dyno plot that got my attention because of the aftermarket that's starting to pick up with the 5 liter. Needless to say, I love my gas V8, but when I saw that uh, power plot, I was very impressed. So it sounds like from within the episode 68 that I got some people's interest. So I'll let you guys do the uh, take it from here and do the due diligence to check in with Josh Chapman at CFT Performance and Walter Cheney and um, see what the true story is behind that dyno chart and the trucks those guys are building. So in my next Titan XD, um, which I have almost 62,500 miles on my current one, I may just have to look into that 5-liter Cummins because how impressed I was with that uh, dyno chart. Love it. So I love what you guys are doing. I listen to the podcast every week, and I've, I've listened since episode one. So keep up the great work, and uh, I'll catch you guys later. Right Bye, on, man. Wow. Appreciate that. Dude, active. So not only did he give us a tip, but uh, he's listening to every single episode. That's pretty rad. I like that. Yeah. I like people listen to every single episode. 657-205-6105. 657-205-6105 is the five-star hotline. Lightning Holman. It's Keith from Alberta, Canada calling. Uh, just a little tidbit on your uh, dirty hooker, hooker diesel truck there. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but uh, when they ran the next day, they actually got the wiring harness out of one of their tow trucks. I am 100% through and through. I'm a, a Cummins guy and a Dodge guy, but hats off to those boys for making it happen. If I had money, I would have never played it on them running the next day and for them to come in second. That's uh, that's a pretty amazing team they have there, and uh, that's something special they got. Keep doing what you guys are doing. You're awesome. Can't wait to hear you next Sunday. Awesome. Well, thank you for checking thank in. Uh, so to recap on that story, if you guys didn't hear, uh, we're not going to recap it. You need to go back to that episode <laughs> and listen here. Hey, guys. It's Declan. I've called you guys before. I love how Declan thinks we don't remember who he is. I know. You know every time he's like, hey, guys, it's, well, there's only one Declan. Dude, you're our Declan. We got it, dude. We We love you. You're, All the time. We know listen, you. We talked to you on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. You're our <laughs> friend. It's yeah. cool. You know, we, we got you. As a matter of yeah. we love you so much, we may at some point create a segment for you. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll All yeah. right. Let's keep going. Right. I'm listening to episode 66. 
the one about the autism truck, which I really appreciate. I, will, I love that. And um, all of a sudden, I'm on my lawn, and I get stuck. And so, not our fault, by the way. No, no. So, what he's saying, though, is so he was mowing his lawn with his awesome lawn tractor. Yes, which he loves. But I will not take responsibility, Declan, for your bad driving. (laughs) No. (laughs) He was in mud. And what do you guys think about a 1999 Dodge Dakota listed on Method Race Wheels with red beadlock rims? And it's like a patina kind of look. It's like faded out by the sun a little bit. Let me know what you guys think. And it's. Holman, then the lightning. <laughs> how, how how dare you? Uh, first, uh, it's lightning and Holman. Holman, Thank then you, Declan. lightning. Nope, Declan, it's lightning and Holman. And I won't play any of your calls anymore if you Declan, I'm the one who it. remembers you and <laughs> talks to you on Instagram. I'm just kidding. No, I've talked to Declan on Instagram too, although he probably thinks it's you. Yeah, he might. Because I haven't said, hey, it's lightning. <laughs> so, all right. If you're on Instagram, Declan, and you're talking to someone, it's lightning. No, I'm no, no, not. I'm the one who does all the Instagram. That's just not uh, true. Thing. Okay, That's all right. So he true. says uh, 99 Dodge Dakota. It was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not you know, lifted on. I don't have it in front wheels. of me. I don't have right. a mechanics report. I haven't looked at it. But uh, although I would stay away from the beadlocks, if they're fake beadlocks, cool. But for you up there, the stuff you're doing, don't hassle with beadlocks. You don't need them. Yeah. So with patina, do we like patina? Yeah, yeah I think sure we do. Yeah. Trucks earn patina. Okay. Yo, guys, it's Trevor. I'm listening to episode 69, and I'm listening to you guys talk about a caller who was talking about the gooseneck hooked up to a, a bumper pole, and I think you guys got it totally wrong. I think I'm picturing. There's a thread on Pirate 4x4 in the towing section called Big Dumb Loads, and it's about 100 pages of just the most ridiculous, unsafe loads that people hook up. And there's stuff like Ford Rangers with a bumper pole and a fifth wheel or a gooseneck like horse trailer hooked up to that bumper pole. I'm picturing that. Pretty sure that's what the guy's talking about. Not, not the little pole-behind trailer thing where you could put like a gooseneck behind a Ford Excursion all safe looking. No, I think it's ghetto. I think it's unsafe. Check out that thread, by the way. It's funny. See, I, no, I, I agree 100%. With, with, and by the way, he sent saying. us the thread, too, so okay. uh, we'll take a look at but it. But I, I, I agree. So I was the one that's saying it was that, that uh, you were pulling a fifth wheel, and it just had a pole straight down to the to the bumper pole, and it would be like, it, it just looks so dangerous. That's God, what I was envisioning. Dangerous. Yeah, but it's not like the trailer thing that you were talking about, which would be safe. I thought it was just super ghetto is what I was. <laughs> so I was, uh, I agree with you, Trevor. So why is it called a Nissan Titan? Hmm. I don't know. Why? Because Nissan Lucent sounded stupid. Nah. <laughs> hey, Show Podcast. This is your field reporter, Grant, calling to you Ooh. from the sunny slopes. I didn't know we had a field yeah, reporter. Not slopes, but from uh, northern Iowa, a.k.a. God's country. I'm currently behind the wheel of my John Deere 8335R trying Sweet. to get this groundwork it's before it starts this. raining like a cow pissing on a flat rock again, which... <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be the norm here in Iowa lately, so uh, you guys read my email a couple weeks ago, and just uh, the drive shaft that I blew up was on a 99 International 9200i. Uh, it's got the ISM Cummins, pretty nice. We like it, less than half a million miles for being almost older than me. Um, and, but other than that, we pretty much just drive John Deere tractors around the farm. Uh, also, somebody you should look up is, uh, I think it's New Legend 4x4s out of Ames, Iowa. They do really awesome uh, like Scouts, uh, now they're just vintage 4x4s. Uh, they're really great. You should check them out. Maybe they'd be willing to come on your podcast or something. Anyways, this is your field reporter, Grant, signing off. Uh, until next time, boys, keep kicking ass, taking names, and I'll try and come up with another bad joke and let you guys know. 
<laughs> Thank you, Grant. Pretty good. Our, our man on the ground. I love how he just forced his way onto the show. <laughs> okay, and, well done. And now we officially have a, a man on the street. Chuck <laughs> Show Podcast. Let you step in. <laughs> Not again. Let's go, Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go Dodgers. <laughs> By the way, I'm wearing my Angels hat right now. Doyos. <laughs> oh, boy. What's up, Lightning and Holman? My name is Colby White, and I am from Utah. I heard there was a little bit of confusion on the last episode, so I'll just let, let you know that I am also known as the Embargo Man. Oh! <laughs> embargo. But I do have a question about all of the embargoes that seem to be <laughs> on this show is that Holman technically can't say anything about the embargo products. But what if we called in Billy Bargain talk oh. about these embargo products? I mean, technically, Billy's not underneath any sort of non-disclosure agreement, no <laughs> embargo documents. So we might as well get him on here and give us some of the stuff that's coming up in, in the future. We're all dying to hear the embargoes that Holman has. Anyway, guys, have a good one. Keep up the good work. And five stars. Oh, nice. Um, I don't think, well, first of all, we're going to get pushback because someone's going to think that I was playing all those embargoes as a sound effect. That no, was him doing that, it. That was the actual yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, no, we can't do that. People know Should that. We, why uh, don't we hear from <clears throat> Billy? Uh, oh, really? You want to check in with Billy? Yeah, let's check in with Billy. Billy! Come here! No, it's a, yeah, come on in. What's up? Well, hello, everybody out there in Truck Show Podcast Land. This here's Billy Bargain. I gotta tell you, I have also signed many embargoes. I can't talk about anything that Holman can't talk about, and you'll never <laughs> see the two of us in the same place at the same time. All right, well, uh, thanks for coming in, Billy. Appreciate that. So, it turns out that um, uh, B- uh, Billy Bargain's not gonna be able to help us much. Yeah, he has my back. He is your back. <laughs> Five-star hotline. Call us up. Leave a message. We will play it on the air if you do not suck. 657-205-6105. Five-star. 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 Hotline. Oh, man. That That's was the a, end of the show. That was a lot of show. That was a lot of show. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you in Denver and Daytona this week. Oh my gosh, we're about to get on a plane. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show, oh, oh. And don't forget to hit us up on our socials at Truck Show Podcast or send us an email, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, of course, uh, Lightning, who can we not forget? There was a lot of Nissan content on this show. Dude, we had- People who bought Nissans? People who bought Nissans. People who tuned Nissans? Yeah. People who had Nissans? Yes. Uh, Nissan who was upgrading Nissans? Oh my God. This is crazy. Five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. The best in the business, whether you're buying an XD, uh, whether you get the Cummins or the uh, V8. I personally like the uh, Platinum Reserve or the Pro 4X with the uh, Bilstein shocks. I like the Fender audio system, if you don't mind me saying so. I don't mind you saying that. Okay, and we also want to thank our friends at Decked. If you're looking for a phenomenal storage solution that you can stack 2,000 pounds on top of... You got to go to deck.com because they've got one for your truck, your SUV, or your van. Did you hear that they're lockable and waterproof as well? No, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> of course I knew that. Oh, yeah. okay. We're just checking. <laughs> yes, just exactly. want to make sure we hit all the uh, points on the uh, deck talk sheet. We have a lot of good stuff coming up. You guys should, should uh, stick around for the next episode because we, first off, tell your freaking friends about this show.
Please. We're trying to schedule a uh, a special meetup here. A uh, 500 five-star party. At, here at Motor Trend. And we're going to have, we don't know what food or what kind of decorations we're going to put up yet. Well, but we just want to see if awesome. we can get people to get here first. Yes. All right, we are so close. 454 ratings on uh, on iTunes. Please grab your friend's phone if you're an Android user. Get out there. Get on uh, the Apple Podcast app. Give us your five-star rating and give us some reviews. Like, uh, like how about Coyotes Off-Road? Yeah, buddy. It's the best podcast where they talk about every man's passion trucks, off-road mini trucks, bro trucks, beer, Dr. Pepper, hot dogs, and great interviews that you'll enjoy all at the same time and learn. That or, is us. how about the one from Dean? Awesome. Five stars. Five stars! Uh, he says, this is the best automotive podcast available. It's earworm-tastic! Yeah. Star review! Five stars! Or a loyal <laughs> CNN customer says, zero suckage. Wait, wait, wait. Loyal CNN customer? <laughs> That's the customer. name of his name. Okay. Says, Lightning and Holman always bring something new to the table while making it both fun and informative. They've got a great thing going. And have zero suckage and... Five stars! Yeah, uh, buddy! That's right. How about our buddy uh, D. Wilson, 1989. Great show. Keep it up, Lightning and Holman, and... Five stars! stars. So do your best. Leave a review like those guys. Leave five stars. We want to have sometime this summer the 500 five-star listener party here at Motor Trend Group. That's a mouthful right there. El Segundo, California, and if we hit 500... We're going to treat you guys to a taping of the Truck Show podcast. Yes. As well as uh, some uh, libations so of food. So you guys can see maximum suckage in, in person. person. <laughs> All right. Well, I will see you in uh, Denver, and then I'll see you in Daytona. Yes. Oh, that's a lot of us. Don't forget the uh, recorder. Well, I'm, you're taking, oh, who's packing the recorder? Hmm. We should plan this out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, Casa Bonita! Woo-hoo! What's Casa Bonita? Dude, haven't you ever been there? It's a big Mexican restaurant, but they have, like, cliff jumpers and Black Bart's Cave and all kinds of stuff. It's like the Disneyland of Mexican restaurants. This Saturday, awesome! Casa Bonita, Casa Bonita, food and fun and a festive atmosphere, Casa Bonita.